Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Two Brother Date Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Uh, this is chapter 47. God, it is week 47. This thing will have more chapters than Romance of the Three Kingdoms. I mean, it's true. It's less formulaic. <laughs> if you want to know what happened to Riker, I don't know. I feel read like, on. I feel like we got a, a lot of uh, that story coming back around, except in, instead of like the story repeating itself they were literal flashbacks this time it wasn't like um like someone else, like some eunuchs did the same thing the eunuchs did in the first chapter <laughs> it was just riker having some memories it's a it's a it's a quality read mm. and it's a little it's a little formulaic but um marvel at it like one of those mouths did <clears throat> yeah well not not like the mao that we all know and love, but a different no. one of his old. Hey, ancestors. it's a Star Trek. Yeah, week. sorry about that. Okay, uh, yeah, it is a Star Trek week. Um, it's week forty-seven. Sorry for the week off, but also I'm not that sorry. No, and in fact, we're coming into the holidays, so the likelihood is there will be other weeks off coming up. Yeah. Uh, the way we do these Star Trek weeks is we uh start by discussing the series that finished worst last week. Um, for several consecutive weeks now, that has been Voyager. Yeah. And this week is no different. We watched Remember. Okay. Hey, you know how sometimes... People on Star Trek get a visit from telepathic aliens. Yeah, and you know how it always it goes? never bleeds over into the crew, or it, it always goes like a, like a hundred percent perfect, no <laughs> incidents. All right, well, let's just uh, let's do this thing. Hey, um, they working with some new aliens that they picked up because their ships are slow or whatever, and they're taking them from one of their colonies back to their home world, and in exchange, they're gonna share some power saving power. Uh, efficiency technology with Voyager. That's the setup to why these idiots are on board. Uh, so they work in an engineering, uh, Balana and Harry Kim and one of these ladies from this telepathic race. And Harry Kim's trying to get his fucking clarinet all wet in there, uh, with this lady. And Balana feels like a third wheel. So she, uh, she, she leaves the group, the group and goes and, and she's gonna go to bed, but oh no, she's having sex dreams. So many sex dreams, wet and wild, naked back and all of that. Yeah. Um, straight oversleeps, but then wakes up to Chakotay just looking down at her. And remember when she had a thing for Chakotay? Yeah. Uh, I guess that's not happening. Yeah, there was... She had a thing for him. It's not 
had they done the sex or was that just him and Fresca? I, think I was, never remember. I think him and Fresca. I, don't, I think maybe she was holding off because Fresca was. Ah, uh, she was a bomb. Uh, following the official Maki policy of bros before hoes. That's right. Um, but I guess that's not happening anymore because she's just like, not. She's not using it to her advantage because they straight up have a, a real open conversation about her dang wet dreams, which I would not tell someone about. Why was I late for work, man? I had the jizziest dream. She does come right out with it. It's really weird. You know what it is, is, and we, and we haven't gotten to this point yet. She can't just go do aerobics with Beverly Crusher. <laughs> no, no, there's no and one to do like, it with. I don't get the feeling she's got a lot of other friends on this ship. It would just be her and Janeway, right? Like, that would be it. Yeah, she'd have to go talk to Janeway about it. Ugh. Um, I'm glad we but did look, not have I think to what that. she doesn't want is to hear about Janeway's most recent sex dream. No, about Tuvok or whatever. I'm probably gross. Um, they have a moment in this. Anyway, so in the sex dream, she's dreaming about banging one of these telepathic aliens or whatever. Yeah. Um, not one of the ones that's on the ship, though. No, just uh, just one of their species, and I guess it's. I don't know if she knows it at this point, but anyway, she she keeps having these dreams. They're recurring dreams, and not all of them are sex dreams. She's starting to like get a whole story about a uh, a lady that she is on this uh, back on their home world. Yep. Um, and what's going on in her life? And she has a, an illicit affair with a dude from a different c- culture, social class. Unclear. It, boy, it's super unclear because some it's kind like, of other group is he is... poor or is he Amish? That's right. Yeah, what is their deal? Yeah, they, it's a group of people who refuse uh, modern uh, technology and amenities, and the the fancy rich people look down on them um, in a way that will be full of metaphor. Um, so she she now she's starting to piece together this story, and she's. Um, the dreams are getting weird. Like at one point, the, the dude she's fucking is all on fire, like his skin's all on fire or whatever. You know, one of those Voyager horror things that they do every once in a while, <laughs> where they drop. Yeah, like by a, the way, that's in there for no reason. Yeah, I guess um, it's to to explain why she must continue this process. Yeah, uh, she you know she complains about having these dreams. Uh, they go talk to the I guess the guy who's in charge of these. Um, these telepathic people and he's like yeah it's not unheard of sometimes when we're around people got the crazies um you know but i don't think it's a big deal or anything well just uh the doctor gives her an inhibitor so she doesn't have to have the dumb dreams anymore but um i guess she was having some uneasy feelings that maybe she was seeing something real like a real story from somebody's memories and she had to see it through because there was some shady business going on with this lower class of people that were going to get got. So um, she uh, she eventually takes off the inhibitor so she can finish this story, you know, because she was like eight episodes into a ten episode season. Yeah, and uh, you know, Janeway uh, Janeway's like, look, these dipshits are going to be gone tomorrow. So like, don't worry about like, it. Just wear the inhibitor tonight. Yeah. Just stay in your room. We are almost back home. Don't fucking worry about it. But I guess uh, her takeaway is, boy, I better have this dream tonight because these guys are about to be gone. <laughs> That's right. I think maybe she was just hoping it was going to be one of the sexy ones again. Yeah. She's like, please be one of the sexy ones. 
Um, so she keeps having the dreams, and now she's realizing that there is some uh, some Jews in Nazi Germany stuff going on with these people, where the girl's uh, boyfriend is trying to tell her that um, they'd be some dangerous folks trying to kill all of them, and they think they're being they're being told that they're just resettling them somewhere else, but they're really just uh, executing them in inside of the shuttles and stuff like that. Yep. Um, so she wakes up from one of these stories and she's like, oh, I gotta go. I've, I know who I am in these stories. I'm the old lady uh, who's on the ship. Who was? She gets a scar and then she remembers that the lady has a scar. Now, Voyager is not in HD. <laughs> right. I had not previously noticed that the old lady had a scar. Neither had I. Even... So I didn't understand why she suddenly knew it was her until when we saw, then when next we saw the old lady, I was like, oh, she's got that scar on her cheek. Right. Some of these shows are remastered and then you're like, you pick up new details that you hadn't noticed before. Like you, I did not notice the old lady had a scar in this. Yeah. Um, so she's like, oh, I wish they were all remastered um, for the purposes of this project, but I guess no one bought the TNG Blu-ray. So they were like, fuck it. Yeah. I mean, I also didn't buy them. <laughs> That's right. Who do you have to blame? Exactly. She uh, she realizes she's the old lady in the group because of the matching scars. So she goes to that lady's quarters, and she's not really answering, so she, she breaks in or whatever. And it uh, turns out the lady's dying. Um, and she's trying to give her these memories before she goes. We'll get into what we think about the execution of this episode. Why Balana? Why not anybody else? <laughs> why now? Why Just why to a lot of it. Anyway, she's given Balana all of her dang memories about the Holocaust so that someone will know what they did in the long ago times. Um, so she finishes the story. She gets to watch the finale, finally. Because, you know, it's going to be on hiatus for 18 months or whatever. And it's really important she watch it live. Um, and she gets the result, which is, again, the Holocaust. They straight up killed all those people. And even she, in the in the memories is cheering for the death of the guy who was her boyfriend as he's executed for being a shit disturber or whatever. Um, yeah. So then she just like, she goes off on these aliens. She just runs right into, uh, they need a name that's better than like the replomat or um, the officer's lounge. Or They need it to be, they need a name like Quarks, but not Quarks. Anyway, she goes into there where she they... She runs into ne- ne- Neelix's. Neelix's. And they having a big party or whatever, but she's just in front of everybody, starts shouting at them about how they're the Hitlers of space and how they're space Hitlers. And how they killed all these people and they don't want anyone to know about it. And Janeway totally lets her just keep screaming in front of a room full of people, both <laughs> aliens and Starfleet crew. Yep. Uh, and she accuses them all of doing the Holocaust real hard. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, and then you killed this old lady. And she gave me her memories before she died. And they're like, what? She's dead? Uh, boy, this episode has such a, a unsatisfying conclusion. They uh, don't even bother checking to see if this lady was killed. Because, like, they didn't find any evidence off the bat. So they just turn her body over. Yeah. And, um... And then Janeway tells Bolana that it's none of their business if they did a Holocaust. And the aliens go home. And I, I assume Voyager gets their sweet new uh, energy-saving technology. And then uh, that's the end of the episode, right? Well, I mean, uh, 
Belana shares her implanted memories oh, right, with yeah. Harry Kim's girlfriend. So I guess we're supposed to hope that something is different. Yeah, but like because of that, that lady hated her up until the moment right before she said yes to that proposal. Yeah, <laughs> the lady's like, "What? I don't even like you." And then she's like, "Yeah, but please." And then she's like, "Okay." Um, All right, give me the memories. Yeah, so yeah, I guess she's theoretically going to do something about it. And that's the end of the episode. Um, yep. what? Oh, I mean, Janway cancels their trade negotiations, but like, what do they got to trade? Yeah, she already got their sweet tech, right? Who gives a crap? Yep, basically. Um. Uh, so what was this about Holocaust? What was it about? If we allow the memory of an atrocity to fade, it may happen again. Okay. Like that's certainly what uh, what's her name shouts a bunch. She shouts it yeah. basically, and also the episode is called "Remember." Mm-hmm. And also, this is definitely what Brandon Braga was trying to write. Yeah. Um. I. It's Star Trekky. Sure. It's fine. I gave it five points. Uh, it was there a version of this that would have scored higher? Like what? You get what they're getting at, right? They're like, <clears throat> you can't. Well, like you said, you can't just uh, ignore the bad things that you did in the past to try to focus on building a better society because then you're in danger of doing the same shit again. Is there a version of that that gets a better take that's more declarative or? Or better. So we get we get one woman's memories, mm-hmm. and what we don't get from her at all because she dies in the act of giving her memories over is anything about how she feels or how it affected her. Like we see, basically, her dad is like, you know, uh, I've seen this guy talking to other girls, and yeah. so she uh, turns him right in immediately, and then cheers at his death, and then starts uh, screaming as he's. Uh, electro flamed, electro burned. Yeah, he's electro burned to death. It's a weird. It seems to only take a couple of seconds, but it does burn his skin a lot. So I don't know. It fries him like, um, like a bug zapper or something. Basically, um, but then like, but then they kill this. See, the problem is that the the take is fine, but it's not. There's nothing in this about. how or why the atrocity gets forgotten or what just knowing about it is going to do. Yeah. It's like, it really is, uh, this is breast cancer awareness. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Please be aware of this. Like it, Uh, it doesn't propose anything strong except don't, Hey, don't sweep this shit under the rug. Which is fine. Yeah. It's just not a strong take for me. Okay. But maybe you thought it was uh, better. Like, first of all, um, Voyage has been on a real losing streak. <laughs> Good for them for doing an episode that's kind of about something. Well, I think that's obviously about something, but maybe hard to, like, turn yeah. into a real premise. At least it was obviously about something. Yeah, um, it's like genocide is bad. Right. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, it was weird that they had to make this episode in the 1990s, but it actually seems more and more relevant as time goes by, because we've created such a shitty society of people that believe only what they want and then double and triple down on it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I almost gave it a million points. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> like I was pretty close. Well, but, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. My uh, my big problem is that uh, I don't believe the premise. Mm. That I I did I don't believe that remembering that something happened is going to prevent it from happening again. Yes, unfortunately, that's not enough. <laughs> there has to be right. more than that. That's not the uh, end of it. Um, yeah, I have the Holocaust was real, people, and I gave it eight points, but I almost gave it a million. Yeah. So I showed a lot of restraint. I just feel like this receives more points now than it would have in 1995 or whatever. Well, let's talk about this because I think it did have to be made in the 90s. And here's my here's my explanation for this. Okay. If you read the behind the scenes info about this, you'll know that this was an episode of TNG oh. that never got made. Okay. Bolana was Troy. Okay, well, that's right. It yeah, makes yeah. more sense because she's a telepath. Yeah, I, for, I forgot. We had this conversation offline when I was complaining about all the sex stuff. Right. <laughs> Here's the thing I didn't tell you. Okay. Is that Brandon Braga was disappointed hmm. that in the meantime, Schindler's List had come out. Oh. And people had become very aware of the Holocaust. <laughs> so he didn't get to be... He didn't get to break the news about the Holocaust? He didn't get to break the news about the Holocaust. <laughs> he didn't get to be the first one to say the Holocaust was real people. But if you look at that timing, uh, clearly this this story was relevant for the same reason that Schindler's List was relevant. Okay. Right? Like, oh, I guess maybe we are starting to not think about this anymore as people die off. Yeah. So I think it it was fine in it in its own time. Like clearly, at the time that this episode was conceived, somebody who was not uh, twelve or whatever, like I was, hmm. thought that this needed to get back out into society. And multiple somebody's thought that, and it kind of did, right? right? Yeah. So I'm I'm fine with that. It's just uh, can, can you what an asshole? <laughs> he was so mad. First rate asshole. <laughs> People should hear about the Holocaust from me, Brandon Braga. Oh man, all of this newfound Holocaust awareness is ruining my story. <laughs> I'm the Brandon Braga around here. <laughs> I'm the one. Like nobody knows me and my Holocaust story. All right, you gave it. You gave it eight. I gave it a, a hot eight. Um, ben gave it two. <laughs> his his take is Holocaust deniers. What's the episode saying that's new? Yeah. Um. Okay. I mean, it's uh, it's saying that that other thing from Midnight Oil that I didn't play. This is something I will remember. How did you make the choice? Well, that was a tough one for you, huh? There are so many Midnight Oil songs about atrocities. <laughs> Almost all of them. I did Conquistadors not pick... of Mexico. Right. I didn't pick short memory um, because just because memory is so similar to the word remember. Mm. It is a, just a collection of atrocities. And the premise is... Don't forget about these. Oh, literally, that is it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or, boy, you must have a short memory of all of these things from the past. It's not perfect because it's mostly about colonialism. Yeah. Yes, short memories is a, a song a about colonialism. specific take on that one, yeah. Um, actually, uh, thinking about it, I can't think of any that are specifically about the Holocaust, and um, that makes me worried. Right. What's his deal? Hey, Daddy Garrett, do you have a problem with the Jews? Maybe he felt Brandon Braga was just all over it. Uh, it's probably what it was. <laughs> Brandon Braga. It was probably going to be one on uh, 
breathe, breathe. Yeah. and uh, <laughs> then he saw this episode and he's like nah. and unlike Brandon Braga he wasn't like I'm the Peter Garrett around here he's like, all right um put in uh home. surf's up tonight <laughs> give, give me give, give me Emmy Lou Harris I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> we'll mix duel. her down too far we'll duel it out who's the better <laughs> sicker me, I played that for Marshawn a few weeks ago just to show her how fucking aggravating Peter Garrett must be in real life. <clears throat> um, Ben, yeah, to circle around, Ben gave it a four on execution. He says, dumb, sort of flat and pointless, but not totally objectionable to watch. Yeah, how did you feel it executed? Uh, I give it a three. So I think it's interesting that this ends with Janeway obviously not believing Bellana. Now, <laughs> I say that because... If she'd believed her, she definitely would have done the murder investigation. Like, regardless of all the Holocaust stuff, that was absolutely within her power to look into. The woman who was potentially murdered, murdered on her on ship. The ship? Yeah. Yeah. But she just goes, nah, though. Nah, we're, we don't care. And we think maybe you're crazy. Because, uh, I won't trade our nothing for their whatever, <laughs> and we'll leave. That's right. And doesn't that like really undermine the point of the story, by the way? That that Janeway, who is, I guess, even though she's now grinning space pirate Janeway, is, I guess, supposed to be the moral authority on this ship. And she's just like, Holocaust, though. It happens. I mean, it's Tuvok, though, now, right? It's not even her. Yep, I guess Tuvok is now the moral authority on the ship. And everyone in the room is just like, yeah, but, you know, Holocaust's gonna happen. Mm. So, at that point, it's like... <laughs> Not only are they saying, if you're saying that just remembering it's going to do something, these guys are saying, like, not don't even worry about remembering it. Because, like, who cares? It's just something that happens on our planet, on their planet, whatever. Yep. I mean, there's a generous read here. It is clearly... Janeway suggests hints to Torres that she needs to go say goodbye to her friend in engineering. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess that's the hope for this society to remember this going forward. But that's so lame. Because but that's extremely lame. That's, and we'll get to it again. I have other Because Jane, why this. would Janeway know that that woman was susceptible? Like, yeah, you know, she's probably going to be on board with this. Yeah. And then what would that lady even do? And also, isn't yeah. that lady going to only be on the home planet for like a minute? Isn't she just going back? to that other colony i legit don't know they spent so little time explaining how this society works yeah like they picked these guys up on a convoy yeah uh, did they did they take their ship too yeah it's with neelix's shuttle are these guys passenger just were they passengers on the convoy and they hitched a ride on a faster ship yeah and then like do they ha- did those people then have the authority to give them this technology it's yeah there's not a lot that happens that is explained with these people yeah um <clears throat> sex dreams are a no. Sex memories, even. Just a no. Some parts of the story don't really add up. Also, those sex dreams I was talking about. Yeah. So it's a three for me. Uh, I agree it's three. Um, Just from the storytelling point of view here, we spend a long time in these memories learning even just the barest details of the this Anaran Holocaust, this mm-hmm. planet's Holocaust, and no time at all seeing what the Anarans have been up to since the Holocaust. Yeah, the only memory so we like, get of 
post-Holocaust is her telling some kids that the Holocaust didn't happen. Right. That's it. And so it's like, um, is this society on the verge of another incident? Like, how is not knowing this Holocaust, about this Holocaust, affecting their society? Like, what's happening to them as a result? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a classic show, don't tell, right? So instead, all we have is Bolana just says the moral out loud. Yeah. In fact, I kind of believe they're doing a Janeway, we need to fix it for fixing its sake, because it kind of seems like these people have their shit all together. Right. They don't, there's, we're not shown anything to suggest that their society is in trouble or that this is going to happen again. It's just asserted. Yeah. Then of course there's the big, big, big problem of this episode, which is this woman could have given her memories Mm. to these other Anarans, like her little young friend who likes Harry Kim. Sure. At any time. Probably would have been more welcome from her. Right. (laughs) She could have just said, Hey, listen, uh, we're going back home. You've never been there. Uh, I have been there. I did some shit I'm not proud of, but I have to unburden myself for reasons that are... Because I'm not really a character in this episode, no one goes into. Yeah, and also, did I die of natural causes or not? Because if I didn't know I was going to die, why did I... Why does the download begin at this moment? Right, exactly. Did I know I was... There's nothing about this is explained in any reasonable way because they want to spend so much time showing us this story. Yeah. There is nothing that connects Bolana to this at all. Yeah. Like, give me something, some injustice, something from her Maquis past, right? Yeah, like the Cardis did or something. So the Cardassians are doing this now. Or some Klingon Holocaust that there once was that she knows about. You know sure, what I mean? I like, feel like that's going to take a lot of exposition. Sure. A new, it's a probably best that they avoided that Klingon one. Klingon Holocaust. There's, there's nothing that ties Bolana to this story at all. Yeah. So... She's just someone who wasn't there shouting that they did a holocaust at them. Yeah. Literally shouting it in the middle of the room. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's a three. Now, my initial instinct was to deduct two points for a sex dream. Mm, uh, yeah, I did. Right. <laughs> uh, I ended up not doing that just because... the. The sex dream was just a few seconds at the beginning and a few seconds at the end. And the rest of it was... The whole story was what happened inside these dreams, so... Yeah. You know. It was setting it up. That's her boyfriend of the past, who she's later going to be chanting, Yes! Yes! Like she's a fan of Daniel Bryant, the wrestler whose catchphrase is yes. It's not a good one. It's not great, but you should, when he was at his most popular, the whole stadium would be chanting, yes, yes, yes. And as someone just flipping the channels, you'd go, oh, this is pretty fucked up. So this is the point where we talk about world building. Mm. And this is the point where I have to disagree with Ben. Okay. What does Ben say? So Ben gave it three. He says, finally, Voyager got something right. I like Paris and the Wangers civilian clothes. Or are they just dinner jacket uniforms? Not sure, but I like them more than most things we've seen. Now, what I wrote Mm. was, oh, God, these suits. (laughs) Because they are atrocious. Yeah. They are both wearing what appear to be three-piece future suits. (laughs) But not. They don't even really look like they're from the same society. No, they don't appear. (laughs) They're wildly different. (laughs) They're definitely definitely not the same. 
Uh, Harry Kim's got almost got a Mandarin collar, so that's fun. Yeah, you wonder about uh, the racism of it. Right. These suits are so <laughs> ill-fitting. It is inconceivable that a replicator could have made suits that fit these two human beings this badly. Hey, maybe they are so baggy and unstructured and garbagey that that it is nonsense that they look like three-piece suits and they both have waistcoats. Maybe Garrick can exist as a tailor because the computer's never figured that out. <laughs> the computer figures it out whenever they send you into the fucking holodeck. It could be. Maybe they go to Mott's cousin for that. I don't know. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Horse shit. Yep. Um, on the whole, I didn't think they did any world building in this episode. Yeah, it's, uh, like except... you said, an outline of a story on a planet we're never going to visit again. Right. <clears throat> and they didn't tell us about anything from Earth past. Yeah. They didn't say Holocaust. No, they were afraid that would give up the game that was so yeah. subtle. No one on this... Everyone on the ship knows that if this thing happened, it's bad. But no one says that it's ever happened before. That's right. Um, here's what I have for world building. Schmollis can detect and prevent implanted memories. Yeah. That's only worth one point. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. I'll tell you what I'm I'm sure now. Go ahead and tell me about that they went to the planet (laughs) Inara. Yes. Let me list off the things and tell you how many points those things earned. That's how this works. Inara Prime. Passengers picked up in the FEMA system. Trading a ride for some hot tech. The Inarans like a lot of color, have a cooler climate, and weird orb theremins. Um, These old boys got some telepathic powers, and you know what that means. Uh, I assume this was a rape of some kind. I thought that's maybe where we were going, but it turned out to be the dang old Holocaust. And then I said, is a two too generous? <laughs> I have it as a and two, it? It f- but it feels generous because I can't think of anything. That- yeah, give it a one. I can't think of anything that's going to matter after this. It sure doesn't seem like it. Yeah. Characterization? Uh, also two. <clears throat> okay. Harry is trying to get his swerve on with this alien in a headband. Bellana overslept while she was having a nasty sex dream. She once finished a hoverball tourney with a broken ankle. She's comfy just telling everyone about her filthy wet dreams. Um, let's see. She decides to investigate these dreams because she's convinced they're real events. To what? Be mad at these weirdos? Like, what's her goal? She's going to put them in the brig? I don't know. I don't know what she thinks anyone's going to do. Arrest these people? That's what I'm saying. I just... A bunch of them are kids. They definitely weren't there. These are always written like in, uh, in like a running, a running breakdown kind of way. So later on, she reveals her goal to just be to make people remember. But at the time, I'm like, so what? Like, what's she going to do to them? Um, Neelix constantly trying to show his skills because he knows that they're out of his part of space and now he's fucking useless. So now yep. he's Neelix the party planner. Um, Tuvok and Janeway are at least careful enough to continue investigating after a fairly convincing explanation from the old guy uh, about Balana's weird dreams the database at this point must be full of crazy stories about telepathic rape oh no kidding like they probably had a briefing before they brought these guys on board like okay one of them's a rapist 
about 30% of the time, because I assume we only see the bad ones. Maybe. About 30% of the time when you bring a group of telepaths from a new species on board, one of them does rape. So just keep in mind, if any of you feel like you've been telepathically raped, we should investigate. For whatever reason, we don't think that's a problem. We know that there are devices that can limit telepathic influence, mm-hmm. but we don't use them. Yep. Why does Janeway allow Balana to rant in front of the whole room? They could definitely have had this conversation in private. Maybe she's already figured out that uh, they're not getting anything from these people and they're fucking <laughs> off out of this part of space. <laughs> she's yet like, another Look, bridge burned. I actually need Balana. These people. She can't. That she just can't have anything nice. She can't have the fun experience Archer had this week, where she just no. meets a cool alien played by Andreas <laughs> Katsoulis and just goes on a wild ride. And then, like, like how come she can't have that? I will say that uh, we'll, we'll get to that in two episodes. But Ben's uh, Ben's notes on that are particularly good. Okay. Uh, Katsoulis is definitely Archer's surrogate dad. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, look, it's hard to award a lot of points when a, most of the episode was a rando's memories. Um, yeah. But I wasn't impressed by anybody, so it, that's why it was a two. Uh, everyone kind of sucked in this. I uh, I went as high as four here. Okay. Um. Obviously, I didn't think there was that Balana had any emotional connection to this story. Mm-hmm. And given what we know of everybody's history on here, there is an obvious person that this story should have gone to. It's Chakotay. Yeah. So I don't know if that was cowardice on the Voyager writer's part. Like we don't want to talk about <clears throat> what happened to the red uh, man. indigenous Americans. Mm-hmm. Cause uh, it wasn't good. And there was a lot of forced resettlements. Yeah. But uh, should have been him. So that's a big miss, right? Also, he doesn't have anything to say about it. As he Never is there to he's there to listen to Bellana's sex dream talk. Mm-hmm. Then he fucking is not in the scene where she's like, "These guys did holocausts." Now, normally when something like that happens, I assume that that person is directing the episode, and so they're not going <laughs> to be in it a lot. But we already know he doesn't care. No, there's no way he was going to direct these. Um, <laughs> the rest of the cast I thought did pretty much performed pretty much as expected here. Um, uh, Paris, Kim, Cass, Neelix, and Schmollis are kind of all Little League in this one. Yeah, for sure. Hey, also, Cass uh, has telepathic powers. Maybe she should have been more involved. In yeah, maybe it could have been. Uh, she's telepathic. Tuvok's telepathic. Yeah. Chakotay has a uh, uh, yep. uh, possible emotional connection to this. If they had a Bajoran on the crew, maybe a Maki Bajoran, but they don't have a main character like that, but... Did they just give it to Roxanne Dawson because they were like, you know, she can sort of act, and it's hard to... Look, just looking around this cast. It's a tough one. This is kind of a tough call. It's like, are we going to give it to Kate Mulgrew? I mean, she literally has nothing to do with her, but maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, yeah, so I thought uh, not, none of the decisions make sense character-wise, but everyone... If they're once they're in this world that doesn't make sense, where this woman chose like this, this woman just picked Balana because she's been in engineering, I guess. Yeah, she met her. So, fine. Everyone else is mostly okay. I gave it four points. Okay. Uh, Ben gave it a one. Yeah, he says it's hard to watch Garrett Wang be in love. That's a plot that could have been cut. 
I mean, well, it didn't go anywhere, so yeah, it could have. That woman is leaving the ship in two days, yeah. and he doesn't say, maybe don't leave the ship. <laughs> he doesn't say anything after, like, the first ten minutes. It is not important. The only reason that she is set up as having an infatuation with Harry Kim is so that he can say to her, I trust Bellana. It couldn't hurt to listen. Yeah. Yeah. So, wah. Well, what about uh, quick hitters? Did you have any of those? Uh, I thought um, good for Bellana for being a wingman here in this uh, first engineering scene. Mm-hmm. Where Harry Kim's like, hey, we should all go to dinner. And then the old lady's like, no, I'm old. Mm-hmm. And then Bellana's like, yeah, I'm going to go to bed too. You um, you guys go fuck. Yeah. Um, I thought when Chakotay was asking her... <laughs> I mean, he asked her if her sex dream was about anybody in particular. He <laughs> wanted her to say, Yeah, Chakotay. big boy. <laughs> It'd be funny he, if she just know, said, Chakotay. Theory corner. Uh, Janeway has definitely told Chakotay that Bolana's got a thing for him. Oh, yeah, she did tell him that. She did tell her that, didn't she? She d- certainly hinted at it. I forget if she told her. It's gross. I do remember that in that scene, uh, I thought it would be funny when Janeway was like, oh, I know what that's like if she'd said, oh, you had sex dreams about Chakotay too? (laughs) Um, But then much later, they maybe did have sex on that planet, so whatever. Yeah, I still don't want to know what happened on that. I don't want, I'm not ready to know what happened. The, um, The old dude who seems to be their leader, maybe? He's the oldest guy there. Not only is he a musician, but he's fucking amazing at golden tea. Because <laughs> he's using that little tracker ball, little orb. He's using that track ball. <laughs> I call that the orb person. theremin. I didn't know what that was. <laughs> I mean, it kind of was an orb theremin. You know what? It really was theremin-like because he didn't seem like they were touching it. They were just putting their hands near it. Yeah, they were. they were almost groping it, but not quite. Do you, do you remember that thing in We'll Always Have Paris that was like... Uh, three metal pipes with a bunch of rings on it <laughs> yes i do that was a future accordion or something <laughs> uh i have those uh stainless steel soaps too but it just gets garlic smell off your hands it doesn't that's actually still useful because that garlic yeah. can hang around i give best actor to uh balana as corena okay and worst actor to I trust Bolana. It couldn't hurt to hear her out, Kim. Well, what a surprise! I mean, he's won the award a number of times at this point. Um, I trust her. She calls me Starfleet all the time. She still does that, by the way. It's uh, you know, it's just a thing that's cool about us. Ben couldn't bring himself to either nominate actors or write down quick hitters for this or for Enterprise. So I don't blame him. Though we are going to spend another forty minutes on it or whatever. Um. Yeah. I got a couple of notes. Me during this Bellana sex dream. No, 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 Naked back. Um, why did this chick's dad do so much ear whispering in that scene in her bedroom? Oh, yeah. I did not like that at all. He was like getting all up well, on he looked like the kind of guy who does a holocaust so <laughs> i guess i guess you know if you're gonna do the holocaust maybe pork in your daughter's not that big a deal uh that's it that's all i had because you know voyager 
Fourth place last week was the original series. Okay. Uh, this week we watched The Immunity Syndrome. The Enterprise is en route to Starbase 6. Starbase 6. Starbase. <laughs> the Enterprise is en route to Starbase 6 for some R&R, which they somehow desperately need when they get a garbled message about the Vulcan crewed USS Intrepid. Uh, Uhura is trying to get him to repeat it or clarify it or something, but uh, suddenly Spock has one of those Obi-Wan Kenobi moments. Yeah. Uh, and he announces that the Intrepid just died. <laughs> He's not so good with his words in that moment. And everybody is... People are not helpful. No. They tell Spock that he's just tired. <laughs> and to go to sick bay. Uh, but immediately Starfleet calls him and says, Oh, this is a rescue mission. Yeah. Uh, Gamma 7A is not communicating and the Intrepid's not communicating. So then they get Chekhov up on those binoculars. The, the good with the long range binoculars. Yeah. And uh, he announces that the whole system is dead. Uses the same language. Nobody gives him shit about it. Nope, no one tells him to go to sick bay. Yeah. Um, Spock and McCoy trade barbs about empathy and he goes back up to the bridge and there's like a big dark patch. A real Nagilum type situation going on in here. I was hoping it was Nagilum. Yeah, that would have been dumb for TNG to steal it. Um, they shoot a probe in there, and like there's a crazy high-pitched tone, and half of the ship passes out. Spock doesn't know what it is. It's some kind of energy. Kirk's not real impressed with that. No, Kirk really wants Spock to tell him exactly what the fuck is out there. And every time Spock's like, yeah, I mean, I don't know, though. Like, I ain't. I ain't read about like I, it. So what do you, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I checked don't know. Wikipedia twice. Like it ain't in there. So what do you want? Uh, so they sneak up on this bitch on impulse power. I guess they get too close. Maybe they didn't mean to, but they slip inside of, of the dark zone. Yep. McCoy starts giving everybody drugs to keep them awake. Uh, Spock announces that they've crossed into a region which is incompatible with living and mechanical processes. Mm -hmm. That's why they're all, not only are they losing energy, but the ship too, or whatever. McCoy tells Kirk everybody's going to die, and in response, Kirk gets on the uh, gets on the horn and tells everybody that their mission is to investigate, not to survive, so they must love that. <laughs> That's always a good one to hear when you're it's down a great on, speech. you're trying to do some tumbling down in the fucking gym, and that's the message uh, they're being. Get. Exactly. They're being sucked in. Reverse thrust makes them go forward. Or, uh, yeah, so then Spock uh, tells them to forward, go go at it, and then it slows them down. So it's, you know, opposite day. Yeah, it's opposite day inside the giant space amoeba. It's a, yeah, exactly. Um, they try to, they try to, they do the standard Star Trek move of, well, what if we just, like, went immediately to warp nine? Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, come, no Let's just try is... to punch it once real hard. No one's ever afraid the ship's just going to blow up or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That doesn't do much, but uh, it does bring the the actual amoeba forward. They've been in its, like, weird defense zone, mm. but now they can see the thing. And it's like a huge 11,000-mile amoeba. 
Single-celled Bones. organism. Bones tells him, yep, that's an amoeba. They're going to have to uh, send a shuttle down to investigate it further. Kirk has to make a tough choice, but he sends Spock. Yeah, it's either Spock or McCoy, and Spock and McCoy seem to be, like, uh, dueling to see who gets the honor of sacrificing themselves in this shuttle. Because everyone's pretty sure they're going to die. Yeah, it's real, real, all real noble and dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Spock takes the shuttlecraft on down there. He punches his way through. It's hard to talk to him, but he tells him, Yep, uh, this old boy, uh, it's got chromosomes and everything, and uh, it is just about to reproduce. Yeah. Like, this thing is going to split, and there's going to be a bunch of these fuckers. So now oh, it's by the a way, threat to the whole it galaxy. Ate that whole solar system. Yeah. And killed billions of people. This is a, something that TOS does often for dramatic stakes. They're just like, billions dead. Yeah. Uh, he, he uh, Spock tries to send them some kind of plan to destroy the creature. It's a little bit garbled. But uh, I shouted antimatter at the screen immediately. <laughs> and it took Kirk and McCoy a little bit. Uh, McCoy tells him, McCoy comes up with a big analogy about how, you know, if this thing takes over the whole universe, will be the viruses, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And some, at some point he says the word antibodies, and I guess that makes Kirk think of antimatter. Yeah, I wish, I don't know, you probably didn't, I wish you had gotten a clip of him saying antibodies. Yes. Shatner's <laughs> reading on antibodies was pretty good. He's like, yeah, I, anti- I didn't grab a clip. Bodies! <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, yep, he did just say that. He just said those words at you. Luckily, McCoy said something that was somewhat similar to the word antimatter. <laughs> and uh, that's enough. They're going to uh, plant a probe full of antimatter right on the nucleus of this thing yeah. and then try to back their way out. Uh, as they do that, they find uh, Spock's disabled shuttle and they pull it back with them with the tractor beam. But whoops, now they don't have enough energy to clear the membrane. Oh, no. But luckily, the explosion just throws everybody clear and everything's fine. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, Kirk sexually harasses his yeoman and everything is well again. There you go. That, it was a day of glory for everyone. Yeah, Matt, what was this ding-dang old episode about? Uh, It's much harder to ask somebody else for the ultimate sacrifice than to make it yourself. Uh, It seemed to me the central problem, aside from figuring out what the thing was and how to beat it, was Kirk having to decide which of his two very, very good friends was going to have to go in that shuttle and probably never come back. By the way, this episode was super morbid. We get to hear, like, Spock's last will and testament in the shuttle, and we get to hear Kirk's yes. on the Enterprise again right in front of the entire crew. <laughs> it's like, man, they really wanted you to know that <clears throat> they thought they were going to die in this one. Uh, the enemy is a giant space amoeba, so the rest of the drama from the episode just comes from mystery and suspense, rather from any attempt at a premise. It's like a dramatic take that I'd wager most people will not run into in, the, in their lifetimes. I guess it helps you to understand the specific burdens of command, though. Um, it's a five. Uh... So my problem with the take that you have presented mm. is that it's uh, about three minutes of the episode. That's not false. Uh, I think what they were going for with this one was that we are all ultimately part of something bigger than ourselves. Mm. 
so first of all, there's just a ton of discussion of scale yeah. in this episode, right? Like, amoebas are so small, but this one's so big that we're like a virus, yeah, et cetera, after, right? Yeah, when it, when it uh, duplicates, it'll take up the whole galaxy or whatever. Right. And then there's all the metaphorical being part of something bigger, like connectedness of all life, like self-sacrifice, the and the commendations those two commanders are leaving for their crew, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, I'm a little mixed on this take, though. It's fine, I think, to remind ourselves that we're not the center of the universe. Right. But Star Trek is also places a lot of value on individuality and individual prerogative yeah especially like star uh, trek's a very individualistic show especially in the tos era yeah in star trek we're part of something bigger because we choose to be do you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and i and we should like that seems to be what they what they want to to say here right so how many points but, is that? Uh, oh, uh, it's a five for me. I just want to point out that the extreme end of this uh, part of something bigger viewpoint is like uh, everybody's a drone or a machine or something like that, right? So yeah. this clearly cannot be extended indefinitely. So like I said, it's a mixed. It's a five. Uh, ben has this at a three. He, he just says it's uh, inner space but with the universe growing instead of us shrinking dumb what if and super old school sci-fi. Yeah, well, when they said it was giant space amoeba time, I went, oh, the 60s, that's right. Yeah, it actually kind of feels more like the 50s. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and he gave it a four on execution. Bad uh, yes. TV choice in making the whining of the object so annoying to the viewer. <laughs> so I guess that bothered him. Um, and the, the whole reversey thing. Uh, going forward makes you go backward and etc antimatter will fix everything so it didn't seem like he was impressed by the work done uh what did you think though it's big sci-fi right mm-hmm. i thought that it was played pretty well dramatically um like the crew is super tired at the start and the organism has an effect that makes them even more tired. Yeah, like Kirk was doing a lot of like rubbing his eyes acting and stuff. Right. <laughs> it's it's doing drama work here, right? Yeah. Um Spock is admonishing McCoy for treating the loss of 400 Vulcans differently somehow than treating just one. Meanwhile, the thing that neither of them are talking about is the millions or maybe billions, billions of people who just died here on uh, Gamma 7A. Yep. Um, I just felt like not all of the philosophy that happens in this episode comes off. And I was mad that Kirk thought of antimatter just because McCoy said <laughs> antibodies. So it's this is, again, it's kind of mixed. I gave it five points for execution. I agreed at five. Um for me, just based on my take, unless you're going to kill a character off, this is always a tough one to pull off, the ultimate sacrifice one. Since his two choices were McCoy and Spock, and this was the 60s, we could be reasonably sure everyone was going to be okay at the end. So, I mean, we're closing in on the end of the second season. It's not... 
it's not crazy that someone could have been killed. But I just feel like they didn't yeah. kill people back then. Like, no, probably check not. out combat, dude. Those guys were shot like every week, but they were always back. <laughs> well, combat was real hack. It was back the next week, and that was a war show. Combat, I think, covered about three America's war in Europe's over the course of that show. <laughs> That's right. Well, I mean, think about it. Okay, so Star Trek characters that were main characters that have died. You got Tasha Yar, right? You got Dax. Spoiler alert to anybody listening. Yeah, spoiler alert to Katie, maybe. Yeah. She's plowing through DS9. Is that it? Uh, does fucking Kess make it through? Oh, does Kess become something different? She, uh, like Ironheart, she is becoming. She's becoming? Yeah. Got it. Um, But I think she's fine. So, I mean, I think that's it. So, so my I guess my point is, especially in that era of television and just in Star Trek in general, you can usually feel pretty good that these characters is going to make it through. And I think in both of those cases that we just discussed, they died super sudden. There was no last will and testament <laughs> for dramatic effect. So anyway, I just to me, there was no real drama in that choice. Um so it's a long period of investigation for the payoff of like an underwhelming 60s sci-fi explanation, the giant space amoeba. Like the first yeah. half of this episode is I'm trying to figure out what the F is happening. Um, and it's again, these episodes are too long. They're just, they can't fill 51 minutes or 52 minutes or however they are, however long they are. So they just like spend a lot of time on shit that is usually pretty dull. Um, some good... Uh, testing of friendships and good banter amongst the uh, big three nobody was a crazy douche i mean kirk was pretty kirk um so to me it was just it was pretty average it was a five how did you feel about world building uh you already mentioned starbase six for r and r and that the intrepid is a vulcan's only starship um, Spock can sense other Vulcans' life forces on other starships in other places, which seems wild. He even told us that he heard 400 death screams, which is a, it's pretty dramatic. Not only that, but he knew that even the computer didn't know what was happening. <laughs> Okay, I think this is maybe the first episode that attempts to explain what Spock can and can't do because McCoy says, don't you usually have to be touching something? And the answer to that question no. is, nah. No, because we've already seen that. We've seen him... <laughs> from one side of the door to the other. Telepath a guard from the other <laughs> side of a door. <laughs> that was a wild episode, by the way. Didn't they escape from custody like four separate times in that episode, only to be recaptured each time? That was a real time killer episode. They're like, we only wrote 13 minutes of plot. They better get captured three or four more times. Yeah. Um. Yes, we know that he doesn't have to be touching anything. Like, they couldn't... Like, they thought that the, if we get right to this premise about these people walk into the machines to die because a computer said they would... Mm-hmm. What do you, where do you go from like, there? That's this the will end. not stand up. <laughs> yeah. We gotta We gotta limit this reveal. Uh, Gamma 7A star system. Billions of inhabitants there. Um... Vulcan has never been conquered. I, just, I think, guess he probably means since they've been unified, 
like they, I'm sure they conquered each other in the past. Yeah, what what does we don't know anything about Vulcan? He doesn't really give us the background, like how long it, they've been unified or whatever. Every fucking planet in most Star Treks is treated as if it has always been one global. Mm-hmm. Like it, there are a couple of times in TNG where they visit a place that is not, Ke- but even then, it's like two societies. Yeah, Kesprit. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's right. Exactly two. <laughs> Why couldn't Earth get it the fuck together? I mean, it's like the Klingons have all those houses, right? Yeah. So, like, they aren't... No, they're not united at all. They haven't always been that way. We get to see them not be united. Yeah. But, no, but every Alien of the Week, it's just like, look, I don't want to... Let's not get into it that they speak 45 languages on this planet or whatever. Yeah. Or if there's two races, uh, uh, what's-his-name gets to decide that one of them definitely deserves to die. Oh, Floxy. Floxy, yeah. Floxy gets to say, uh, well, you know, uh, biology said that uh, these guys are going to die, and these guys are going to live, so. It's my code of ethics. That's right. Uh, Uh, What's it worth? Finally, the giant space amoeba that will one day duplicate enough to fill up the whole galaxy unless they kill it in ten minutes. Um, Hmm. Okay, the Vulcan's only starship thing is interesting. Yes. That is a thing that they do in Starfleet. The th- it's interesting for a number of reasons, one of which is that the ship is the USS Intrepid. Yeah. Is this not a Vulcan ship oh, yes, no, that's, that's what I'm serving it is as a an auxiliary? This Star is a Starfleet ship that is an all-Vulcan crew. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting, but what's wild is Spock's ability to sense Vulcans. Yeah, in, dog, he's got the force. In systems uh, far-flung or whatever. Um... But I can't say I like it because <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever see it again. <laughs> I think it's one of those things that I would like to just put right into the canon and be like, hey, this is something Vulcans can do, but it'll never come up again. That'll never happen again. Uh, anyway, it's a three for me. Uh, let me see. Uh, ben has it at a four. Okay. Intrepid's a Vulcan ship, etc. Vulcans can feel the motion over vast distances, I guess. Life monitors. Hmm. Um, and then he feels like this episode about who's going to sacrifice themselves is the blueprint for the rest of Star Trek. Yeah. Which I guess is true. They do love to volunteer for death. Uh, I have it at a three like you. Um, whatever's going on with the Intrepid is interesting to think about, mm-hmm. but not explained. No. Yeah. We don't get nearly enough detail about how uh, Gamma 7A is a fourth magnitude sun. Which seems to be a rating connected with how populated the system is and not the size of the star. Okay. Just in the context that it's used. So there's some kind of ranking about which solar systems are good ones and which (laughs) ones just have that one scientist and his young wife. That's right. Uh, Rescue priority Hmm. is something. Yeah, they got a lot of protocols and priorities in TOS. When Kirk is like, hey, there's fucking, there's got to be another ship that can go deal with this. And the guy's like, nah, rescue priority. But you don't understand. We're tired. Yeah. Negative energy. Mm-hmm. Is that like and then, what, like you said. Is that like in that universe where there was the, there was the negative universe? Yeah. That's you guys like, were wrestling. But they didn't, but Kirk and Spock didn't immediately look at each other and go, Lazarus. <laughs> uh, Vulcan great. has never been conquered, like you said. This is a standard three for me. Okay. Um, characterization. Characterization. I thought the big three were pretty good. Okay. 
I wasn't a huge fan of our mission here isn't to survive when uh, Kirk probably could have just rallied the troops with like billions of people lost their lives in this system. We need to get some answers. Yeah, I always wonder why Kirk needs to say anything to the crew. He's not good at yeah. it. I feel like Sulu's absence is really starting to get conspicuous. Well, his mom's having her birthday. so That must be it. Go back to Earth. I wonder if they will ever explain where he's been when he shows up again. Because they can't say, oh, were you off filming the Green Berets? Oh, is that what he was doing? Yeah. Ah, interesting. Okay. Um, I find that Spock and McCoy bickering is starting to no longer play because we already know they like each other. Just like how yes. in last week's DS9, yeah. fucking O'Brien, uh, uh, sorry, Odo. Odo. Yeah. I was not last week, it was two weeks You'd ago. You'd miss him too, Major. You'd. Wait, someone's got to go look for Quark. It's like, you can't just come out and say that. Yeah, you gave the it's going to ruin the rest of the show. You got five seasons left. You gave the game away. Yeah. yeah. Um, but on the whole, I thought this was at least as good as bad. I gave it a five. Yeah, I actually gave it a six. Um, again, based on the good interplay between the three of them. Um, Spock insinuates that it's McCoy who lacks empathy and maybe all humans. Um we get to hear Spock's somewhat sentimental last will and testament at the end there. Just wanting to make sure everyone knew that the Enterprise was the best ship in the fleet. And it has the best gymnastics in the fleet. McCoy uh, seems to subscribe to the philosophy, uh, I'm unaffected and I'm fine. When shit goes wrong, a star system over. <laughs> um, he also, his strong recommendation is survival. <laughs> Which... Is then, as you mentioned, um, completely rebuffed by Kirk and his message to the crew. Uh, that ain't why they're there. <laughs> but I, I just love that that's his great recommendation. That's uh, very helpful. Thank you, McCoy. Um, and like I said, they duel for the right to sacrifice themselves for the ship. Kirk loves his Spock and is jubilant when he realizes that uh, the shuttle has survived. We get his last log entry as well in front of the bridge crew. In front of the computer and everyone. <laughs> For TOS, they actually did some interesting character work in this one between Spock and McCoy. Like, um, I think Spock was really offended by McCoy in the beginning. It wasn't just banter. And then, I thought so too. And then they both are like uh, so eager to be the one to let the other one live or whatever. And and so then, and I think in that moment they're, um sparring turning into friendship works better than usual um nobody else did much it was just those three but i thought it was pretty good so six for me uh didn't work for ben by the way okay he he thought mccoy really had some ego about going out to see the space amoeba he didn't think it was cool that the best he could do was to mutter good luck after spock leaves <laughs> yeah um spock was rubbing it in Actually, then he says, gotta like the way they're ribbing each other in the face of death. But he did give it three points, so it doesn't seem like you do gotta. That's <laughs> yes, right. He didn't like it that much. Uh, quick hitters, he says, Spock says super slowly, the probe will be impacting in 7.3 seconds. <laughs> but he takes like five seconds just to say that. It'd be super frustrating. Uh, you must have quick hitters for this wild episode. Um, Actually, I only had a couple. I, just that TOS kills off billions of people pretty often. Anytime, like, uh, a doomsday machine or 
Oh, whatever the thing was that was, like, making everyone age. I kept killing people as it went through. Weren't there, like, two or three other things that were on a line heading straight for Earth? Yeah, those fried eggs that were going Earth, they were pretty bad. They're just, like, always, like, wiping out entire star systems full of people and shit. So that's something that they just do. And then again, Kirk's reading of the line, antibodies, made me laugh pretty good. So What if this is why there's only, like, 40 starships in TNG? is because a hundred years ago... Oh, there were lots of mass extinction events? Earth lost its well-established colonies to some weird space shit. Yeah, there were like seven extinction-level events. You know, like that Klingon goat that eats matter or whatever that Worf is... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Worf brought that up in a briefing. Well, he often brings up his weird superstitions and shit. Just right there on the bridge. Um. Yeah, they do kill people off though a lot. Yeah. What do you got? Uh, everyone seemed pretty energized at the end of last week's gangster romp. Why are they so drained now? I always wonder what the side missions are that we never get to see. This one seems was like this. Dull. Seems like this side mission. Like, I want to see what happened to these people because they seem like they fucking they need R and R on that star base, which I think just means drinking. Probably. That's all we've seen them do is go, for instance, on uh, K seven or whatever. Maybe they'll go with to the tribbles. Another... Just go to that guy's bar and get hammered. Go to another hooker planet or whatever. Oh, they should get. They should go back to that hooker planet. Well, they can't Same go back one. to that one because so many people got murdered. But maybe another one. You know. Um. How does the starship crewed by Vulcans work? Do you think that they are? Did they go to the academy like Spock? Because he seems like there aren't that many. Yeah. Some kind of exchange program where... It's... But the flip side of that is... We know that uh, Tuvok's dad was in Starfleet. Oh, yeah. And that must have been about the same time as this. Yeah, that's true. Because Spock was in Starfleet in the movie times. Yeah. Yeah. So, they're... Was he on the... He wasn't. He was on the Wyoming, right? That's right. He was on the Wyoming, and then he was on the uh, Excelsior. Uh, why does Kirk keep calling Kyle Cowell? <laughs> He's not good at the words. But this guy has been in a bunch of episodes. Yeah. Um, I thought Kirk was a little petulant, telling Spock insufficient data wasn't good enough. He was tired. Yeah. What would he do if Spock wasn't his science officer? Yeah, what if he had data? Yuck. For real. Every or just like a regular pre- human. Every time Data pretended not to know something, he'd fucking lose his shit. Like Ensign What's-Her-Name from last week uh, did a pretty good job. Uh, Was that last week? White Uhura? Well, White Uhura. Is that what we're talking about? Somebody, there was some Ensign who... Wait, I probably wrote her name down to name a future ship. <laughs> nice Jana Haynes maybe okay did a did a did a pretty decent job like first she did a thing on the scope and did it right and then she took over navigation or yeah, something yeah, yeah. so like there was somebody who I thought was competent I just uh, call her white a couple of weeks ago but um but Spock just comes up with all kinds of shit like I don't think that Lazarus thing goes that well <laughs> that's right if he's just got if Sulu's just were man in the science station. Yeah, it's pretty dumb to be mad at Spock. You guys uh, have come up with so many 
planet-saving, probably, plans just by looking at each other and having the same thought at the same time. Yeah. Is the ready-to-reproduce threat necessary here? This fucking thing ate a whole solar system. Yeah, it's big enough. One of them's bad enough. Yeah. Um, an anti-energy being could never eat antimatter. Why? Sounds like he could. Anti-bodies. And then uh, Kyle's dumb accent made me think that they should have named Malcolm Reed Malcolm Kyle. And then we could be like, oh, this is shitty grandson. God, I'm surprised they didn't do that. That seems Doesn't like, it seem like it's wild that they weren't like... That is definitely the kind of thing Enterprise would do. Hey, this guy sounds a little bit like uh, Lieutenant Kyle from the, old, from the old series. There's only two true Brits in Starfleet. They probably didn't want to have to find the 80-year-old who wrote the first episode with this dude and, like, pay him. Remember that character? You Oh, you don't remember? Oh, never mind then. That's it. Yeah, that's what I got. I gave right. best actor to McCoy and worst actor to Scotty. Scotty had like three lines in this one about you can't go to reverse. That doesn't make any sense. Whereas he should have just been like, I, I, I sir, opposite day. <laughs> that's right. I know what we're doing. <laughs> I, I've been through it before. Um, in third place last week was Enterprise. Okay. This week we watched Cogenitor. Good. Loving this. I'm just gonna take my headphones out for a second. I'm sorry. What? I, I was taking my headphones out for a second. Okay. I didn't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Enterprise is studying a hypergiant star in the last couple of centuries of its life. When they find out that there's a ship in an even closer position, these old boys are the Visians. And their captain, Drenick, offers to help modify their sensors so that they can study it better, and they invite him aboard. In fact, these dudes are generally pretty chill, and they don't seem to care about giving away their fancy technology. No. It seems like good, pretty good guys to get to know. Yep. Um, he takes our, uh, Archer with him into the outer layers of the star in his stratopod, yeah. while the uh, not-gay twins make time with some of the Visian ladies. Um, but then Malcolm wants some time with them all on his own, so he sends Trip over to talk to the engineer. That's cool with him because he has an eerie run-in with a third person at the table, who they introduce as their cogenitor, saying it has no name. Yeah, is Trip just bored? Do you think? I mean, wouldn't we'll get into the whole plot? Sorry, I just I got the feeling the whole time that he didn't have anything better to do, and that's really what was happening. I. I mean, you'd think so, except that, like, theoretically, like, this this dude, um, uh, Bobo. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. But I can't remember. I can't remember the name of the guy who plays Bail Organa. Jimmy Smits? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy, this poor man's Jimmy Smits, the engineer. He's like, hey, I'll show you how everything on our super advanced ship works. Is like, he's... He's dishing out the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Trip should be interested in this stuff. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Flox gives uh gives him a birds and bees talk about multigender reproduction, mm. and uh, encourages him to just try and keep an open mind about the whole thing. 
But uh, while Archer and Drenick are off becoming like best friends and talking about Shakespeare and hydrogen and everything, <laughs> uh, Trip starts digging in because there's some hints that the cogenitors are kind of like second class citizens here. Yeah. So uh, he talks to uh, the only two aliens on the ship, T-Pole and Flocks, about it. And T-Pole tells him to mind his own goddamn business. Yeah. And Flock says, yeah, no, that's right. Mind your goddamn business. That's right. So instead, He's... he wrangles an invitation to dinner and takes a neuroscan of everybody there. And so that Phlox can tell him, nope, yeah, you're right. The, these cogenitors, they are just as capable as the male and female uh, parts of this species. So Yeah, by the way, Phlox is almost as guilty because he, when he says, could I take a brain scan of them? He doesn't just lie and go, nope. Not no, possible. You'd, uh, you'd need to you'd need to get him here. But he just knows that Trip would just show up with the cogenitor <laughs> in his sick bay if he said, "Nah, I would have to do that MRI over there." And then he comes back with like, the with the scans, and then he actually goes over the scans with him with Trip, where he should have just gone, "Oh, the machine broke." Oh, you did you did the scans bad you did though. A, yeah, I, is the thing you're never gonna get another opportunity. Might as uh, well let it go. Boy, you can't do two scan. You can't do two scans in the same week, it's or dangerous. they'll get real sick. Yeah. So you gotta. <laughs> Yeah, he did it bad. He's he is at least a little bit to blame for playing playing around with Any, this shit. Anyway, what a shock! Mm. Uh, it turns out that the cogenitor is equally capable. Yeah. So now it's a human rights issue, and uh, yep. Trip's gonna solve it. <clears throat> he he sneaks off to their quarters and he gives the cogenitor a pad, which will teach it how to read English. <laughs> it's as best he can do. He doesn't have a pad that'll teach him how to read their language. Well, because this is Star Trek, his plan goes super great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cogenitor learns to read English and somehow Vissian yeah, th- in like a day. I think that's why they put in that stuff with Katsulis about how good they were at reading and writing and stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Katsulis read all of Shakespeare like overnight. Yeah, like a computer. So that's what's up. Mm. Uh... And um, he does a dauphin here too because he starts filling its head with all kinds of dreams. Yeah, about like how you're going to go to those <laughs> mountains and you're going to be the you're president. Stand on an asteroid. You're going to be president of the asteroid if you want. That's right. You're going to be king of all asteroids, <laughs> and you'll go. You'll breathe vapors on vapor world. You can eat all the chocolate on chocolate world. Um. So you know, there's no come up and nothing's nothing bad will come out of this. Yeah. He, um, oh, it picks the name, it names itself after him, it names itself Charles. And he, he is very happy about that. Which he's super proud about, mm-hmm. and he takes it on a secret tour of Enterprise, and shows it a movie in his quarters, and teaches it to play Go. By the way, I'm using the pronoun it here, because that's what they use for it. Yeah. Um, well, they, except at the end, when they all say she. she yes. Um, the they actor, all switch to say she at the end. The actor in this case who plays the cogenitor is a female, and Tripp says he thought maybe it was a female in the beginning, and they often call it she throughout the episode, but they're supposed yeah. to be calling it it. Right. It is seems to be the pronoun that they use. Mm-hmm. Um, there is not... I will say that in, in English, the accepted uh, non-gendered pronoun is becoming they, mm-hmm. singular they. Yeah. Um, but this episode is from 2002, right? So like they used it. Also, maybe they thought it would be more insulting because uh, they were supposed to be second class I think that there is an undercurrent because it is an object for us, right? Right. 
but it the universal translator picked it i, I don't want to get into yeah, it yeah don't get into that um <sighs> i just point out trip in this episode is data in the sarshanka episode uh he's just data in the sarshanka episode and he's he's also uh charles is also lol yeah that's right <laughs> if you want to connect it to another data moment yeah uh, anyway, he gets found out, and uh, Teepole chews him out for his nonsense. By the way, I don't then... think his plan was to not get found out. It, it wasn't a good plan, <laughs> but like he was constantly like, well, we got to get you back to their sh- your ship before someone figures out then he that I'm done not that. in the astrometrics lab where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> he never returns it. Cool. Yeah, these guys have all the technology, but they're not gonna be, they're not gonna be able to be like, hey, where'd that guy go after he left here? <laughs> and also, where's my co janitor? <laughs> And did you, any of you guys see the alien or my co-janitor? <laughs> We're, uh, we are leasing that thing. If we lose it. We are a deep shit. I'm paying $289 is, a month. The deposit is shitty. So, <laughs> um, Charles shows up uh, in engineering and it tells Trip, everyone on, everyone on the Vissian ship is mad. Yeah. And they're not going to help it. And they're not going to take it to the mountains. No, it's not going to get to see even one mountain. <laughs> It requests asylum on mm-hmm. Enterprise. So now it's Archer's problem. Archer, by the he way, he's been on this journey his... with Kuzulus for three days, they say. He gets back on this from his cool ship where he was piloting a five-axis pod through solar flares. They did some surf and just stuff. Really, really fucking buddying up with, uh, with Drenik. Yeah. And, and he comes back and figures out how things have played out while he was gone. So he's pissed, mm-hmm. and he gets everybody together, and he tells Drenik that he has an obligation to consider the request for asylum. And Drenik's like, all right, take your time. We're not going anywhere. He's not happy about it, but he's like, all right, we met these fucking aliens, and now it's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. These guys have been cool so far, I guess. But one uh, of them has been cool, and one of them has not been. <laughs> we don't see the decision. Or how it happens, but uh, Archer decides that he's returning Charles to the Vissian ship. Right. And uh, he puts on a brave face during his goodbye with Drenik, but it does seem like he's upset that that his cool time has now been spoiled. Yeah. This whole thing. That's why he's most mad at Trip. (laughs) But even worse, he gets a call like three hours later from Drenik, and uh, I don't know how she says he sounds upset. Mm. And uh, then he calls Trip in to tell him uh, the cogenitor killed itself. Charles is dead. Charles is dead. And by the way, this is all your fault. And you have to learn to think about the consequences of your actions. Very disappointed in you. Drenik and I were best friends a minute ago. And now we can't even like send letters to each other. Oh, and by the way, how dare you say that you just did what I would have done? You know what I would have done was lead an armed rebellion. You ass. So... Yeah. What's this episode about, Matthew? All right, okay. <clears throat> All right, okay. This never felt like a Prime Directive episode. Obviously, they don't have that yet. Um, even despite all the trip stuff. I think the Archer plot was there to say this. Your feelings about a culture are shaped by your specific interactions with it. So, Trip ran into that cogenitor on day one. And everything he thinks about these dudes is based on that feeling of inequity he saw at that table. Yeah. And all the shit that happened after that. Archer ran into Katsulis in day one. Uh, Drenik. And went on a super fun star cruise. 
Yes. And so he couldn't be happier with these dudes. I think it's it's one way to think about our interactions with different cultures. Like, um, maybe an example they were aiming at would be like, maybe you, you go down to the good old boy South for the first time and you get treated great. And, um, and everyone shows you a good time and you, you go on a, a tour of distilleries and it's just all amazing fun. And Katsulis is there. <laughs> oh man, I wish. Right? <laughs> they wouldn't let Katsulis in. That dude is ethnic for sure. <laughs> he sounds Mediterranean, his name. Um, and then someone else going down there and maybe seeing how the non-whites are treated and having a different feeling. Or like, you know, two people visiting China and one seeing how Tibetans or Muslim minorities are treated and one just seeing some cool old shit and stuff on his face. Something like that. Right. Guy sees the terracotta army or something. And and like, he's like, I had a cultural experience. Now right. I speak Chinese. I'm going to learn it tomorrow. Um, so I think that's what they're going for. The, the problem for me is that's not, it's not much. It's like I know that. I know that your 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 feelings about a culture are shaped by your your specific experiences with it. So to me it's it's like okay, that is good to know and like you can have two separate experiences with the same culture and have two separate opinions of them based on what happened on your cool 3-day journey. But it's just a 5 for me. It's just eh. Okay. Uh here is what I so I thought that this episode was saying it is the height of hubris to think that you can fix a civilization. Okay. Like, think of how naive everything Trip does is. I honestly I feel like he was trying to do it bad. That's <laughs> I don't know if it was written that way or acted that way by the guy, whatever his name is, who plays him. Yeah. Every time he did something, I felt like he was like, he was doing it to get caught, like he thought that would make a better point. When he just walks into their quarters and hands it a pad and goes, read this! You're gonna read! And then he just, like, English, then he just again. steals it. He just steals it and goes to the other ship. And you're like, there's a 0% chance that you could get away with this. Anyway. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, this take, that you can't fix a civilization, mm-hmm. is like a direct shot at Star Trek, right? Yeah. This is this is Kirk. Trip is Kirk, except it would have worked for Kirk. Yep. Oh, he would have taught him to read so good, and then the society would have changed like overnight. The bigger problem with this take is that it doesn't address what you should do when you feel that some moral imperative is being overlooked. Yeah. So it's like half a take. <clears throat> because it suggests that you should do nothing, and that's also unsatisfying. It has a lot like, in common with the Kirk, Voyager episode. Kirk would have fixed this problem through force yes. or possibly persuasion of a computer. <laughs> Hopefully both. Picard uh, would have left the problem intact, but he would have given a big speech and we would have felt like maybe they were on the right track now that they've heard this good speech that Picard gave. Yeah. Right? This is a symbiosis or a... Or... Either that, or he would have given him. We a... know that Picard also uses the prime directive to be a coward. Yes. In order to be a coward. But either he would have given that kind of speech, or he would have given the speech he gives at the end of the wounded, where he tells the Cardies, "Hey, we'll be watching." Yeah. Like, okay, we fucked up this time, but don't think you're getting away with anything. Like, we come right. for you. <clears throat> um. 
So he's, I don't know. Though he's also in a different position as a captain. I mean, so he's captain of a flagship of a great, powerful fleet. Whereas, right, which Archer is certainly not. Yeah, he's just a dude. Uh, I think it, I gave it a five for the take also, because I, I think that it's fine to say, look, all that shit we were talking about in the 60s, where Kirk is bringing civilization to the galaxy, yeah. uh, that was horse shit. But you, if you're going to... Like, the problem with that for this story is that this is not black and white. Yeah. I mean, it's not. this is not a shade of gray. Like, they're being real shitty about this thing. Yeah. They've got shitty racist attitudes. Uh, it's a misdirect, by the way, that this is about gender. This is definitely racism. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Except, okay, I did read, I did read one review of this that suggests that this is a veiled allegory to the post 9-11 environment where all of a sudden people were real concerned about the uh, freedoms of uh, say Afghan women. Right. Do you you understand what I'm saying? Uh, I don't, I think that that's interesting to think about. And that again, all of enterprise you do sort of have to think about in the, yeah, just freshly post 9-11 context. So that probably is some, something in there, but it, because they don't make any specifics about, uh, gender or about the reproductive function of the cogenitor, like none of it's tied into this argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really just becomes another uh, racism yeah. episode. Um, that's a five for me. Uh, ben had it as a six, and he has it as something different. Friendship and trust is as precious as air, and a breach in trust is a dire thing. That is the uh, couplet at the start of chapter 89, I think, of Romance of the Three Kingdoms. <laughs> That's correct. Except instead of uh, friendship, they use the word fealty, but it's that's what they're Yes, but they mean, yeah. in this case, they... Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess he's he's taken Archer's side, the, the, his great friendship with, uh, with Katsulis has yeah. been uh, He's a six on execution also, by the way. It's kind of a lot for Enterprise. Yeah, he says the setup is basically a TNG episode from the less developed aliens perspective. Like, uh, those humans and their gross two sexes, is what he says. Uh, these guys seem pretty used to it. Uh, Jim, Jimmy Smith says to him, uh, yeah, most aliens are bigendered, so we get it. <laughs> yeah. You're curious. You're curious about our cool ways. Yeah. You want to know how cool we are. Um, and he says at least Trip didn't fuck this alien, though I, I still get the feeling that the reason he's so interested is because it looked like a lady to him. I think he had a weird... Like, he has a fascination with the cogenitor. Well, it's so hard because they do lead right off by saying uh, the cogenitor doesn't have a name. Yeah. So it's possible that his initial... That his even his initial motivation is like, well, okay, these guys are weird. And not... yeah. He's not discovering that he likes androgynous women or whatever. I was so this afraid is, it was going to be Soren. Yeah, well, I was, not... <laughs> I was so afraid it was going to be another Soren episode and we were going to have to see their fucking uh, commando turtlenecks. We'll, we'll fucking get to it, right? So the offspring is uh, TNG's episode about gender and it is a big swing and a miss. Not the offspring. The offspring is lol. Ah, it's Jesus. Um, um, the one with... The outcast. The outcast, yes. 
it is a big it's a big swing and a miss but it's so. wild it's a wild story it is it's wild. a wild story where Worf comes into Wrecker's quarters and goes you're thinking about commandoing <laughs> yeah, but- I got a turtleneck <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I been in this whole episode. It has nothing to do with me, but I am in. You know how every <clears throat> 10 episodes we're best friends it's for right. some reason. And I'm uh, for whatever reason, I'm not. I don't care about Picard. I only care about you. Yeah, I on think this of show. you as like the warrior idea. You're stronger. I think <laughs> yeah, you're the warrior. I, have, I didn't learn ones. anything from peak performance. <laughs> it is weird. Hey, are there any strong humans on Enterprise? Is Riker the strongest human? He's the tallest one. I don't That's... think Frakes allowed anyone taller than him to be on the show. Because, <laughs> like... Uh, physical strength, although they occasionally they talk about the Starfleet's physical training routine, mm-hmm. we we know that that's Aikido, but that's really judo. <laughs> Aikido um, judo. Uh, it does not seem that muscle-bound dudes are particularly... No one cares about them in the Federation. Not in that era. They apparently cared about them during Enterprise's era, though, because everyone on that show is jacked. Well, that's closer to our era. They're they're still getting over what's going on today in TV. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, it is. Every time you see Trip alone with an alien, you're like, oh, God. Oh, no. So at least it wasn't that. Um, I didn't give it a six. I gave it a five um, for execution. I thought this episode was a pretty well shot overall. Okay. Like it. This okay. So the scenes with Archer and Drennick don't do a ton to inform the story. No. And the scenes with uh, Reed and Velo are less than useless. Oof. Um, we saw this last week, right? Like Enterprise. I don't think they want to do B stories. No. But then they find that they need to break up time passing. Yeah. Like that's... they're ha- they already cheat by making this dumb alien learn to read in one day. Right. But they need to move the clock along. And so that's what these bad B stories are for because they don't they don't seem to care to write B stories. And then we scramble to try to fit them together. Yeah. Like theirs is a cohesive However, story. I did like that there were a lot of scenes we didn't see. Yeah. Like the Vissians discovering the trip was gone. Charles's suicide. We don't see the final call from Drennick where he talks to um, Archer and Archer. says, Hey, right? uh, you owe us money. So uh, from the point of view of just the direction of the episode, uh, LeVar Burton, by the way. Oh, did he direct it? Yeah. Eh, I thought, him. Uh, fine, not that bad. There's a glaring problem with this episode. Okay. And that is that it makes no sense that Archer would refuse asylum. Yeah. It's, it just goes counter to every single thing we know about Archer. I mean, literally only if he said, they're going to blow us up if I don't. And uh, No, you know what? He would have doubled right. down. He would have doubled yeah. down in that case. Oh, he would have been a real Janeway situation for him then. Yeah. And because this episode is so trip-focused, they don't even we never even hear any attempt at reasoning from Archer for why he makes his, his decision. Yeah. So I think that that's the big problem with this episode is that, uh, frankly, it makes a lot more sense if Archer was the one who was doing the uh, human rights thing here. Yeah, maybe Trip got to go on a cool journey or whatever. Um, but on the whole, I gave it a five. What did you think? I also gave it a five. Uh, I had, even though Trip is a dummy who sucks, 
this is still a very dissatisfying ending with Archer in the end. Yep. They are essentially elevating the Prime Directive, though they don't have that yet, but of not interfering with their shit, which is a Star Trek Roddenberry Directive. Over the terrible way these people are treating 3% of their population, which seems like a real-life moral directive. Correct. So they're doing the Prime Directive is here to protect us. Yeah. And it felt like trading something important for something that is not. You can find that in Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Um, so we, so you're like, at the end, you're like, okay, well, that's cool that they protected themselves, or it's cool that they have this code that they don't really, it's not even an official code yet. But like, hey, what about those people? No, no one gives a shit about those people? Because Archer doesn't even really seem to care that much. Um... Also, if Archer really felt Trip was responsible for a diplomatic incident with a species they were making first contact with, and the death of one of that species' crew, and generally being a dipshit, why is his punishment three minutes of stern lecturing? Yeah. Janeway demoted two people in season one. Yeah, like, what is this? That's it? You're gonna be like, well, this is what happens when you stick your nose where it doesn't belong. That's pretty weak. He really does come at him with, you know what you did. Otherwise, I thought this episode was actually kind of interesting in how it was exploring how two seemingly friendly cultures with similar goals can have so many different kinds of experiences with each other. I thought it was actually not that bad to watch. So that's why it earns as much as a five. What about world building? Uh, this is the first Earthship to get this close to a hypergiant. Trinesium is that good, good hull material. Uh, they got, th- these guys got three sexes, including a cogenitor. Everything about the treatment of the cogenitor that we've already talked about. Uh, they have much more aromatic food than humans, or maybe like a worse sense of smell, it's hard to say. I mean, a better sense of smell. I don't know what I said there. Um, cerium microcells or something that charge the weapons? That's st- yep. still nothing. Uh, hey, how come in Star Trek, every alien species always travels down the exact same development path? <laughs> so, like, more advanced aliens they run into have already invented everything Starfleet has. And Starfleet yep. always encounters aliens with all the exact same stuff they used to have. Yeah, this is the one that Voyager accidentally got right with the Vidians, right? Yeah. Oh, that's like right. Like, their medical technology's way ahead. For reasons. But then, I think later when we saw them, they seemed like their ships are pretty good, too. Yeah, they were, like, just as fast and everything. Yeah. Like, I understand that the writers on these shows are limited not only by their imaginations, which suck, but, like, also what they can figure out how to create on screen. So everything kind of has to be, like, something recognizable. But still, but still, these guys are like, oh, yeah, we used to have those. And we used to have that. Oh, yeah, it's pretty primitive. We used to have that. It's like they don't run into anything that the humans came up with independent of what they've already invented. No, the best they can do is that these guys both use the same battery technology. Yeah. Uh, It's a two for me. Okay. Uh, Yeah, it's two for me also. So we have... Um, sort of the ratio of binary gendered races to multiple gendered races. Right. uh, And over 200 naturally occurring elements. 
is not really this is not really a world building episode. No. Did Ben agree? Uh, ben has it as a four. He says uh, using the nose for tasting food, trisexuals, you know, like the French. I think he's giving his own joke a four. <laughs> He said what I wrote was funny. 11 points. Uh, He's a three on characterization. He says, uh, not a lot new, but Trip is basically true to form. I guess he means in a bad way. I guess the new thing is that Archer doesn't back him to the hilt because he's feeling ashamed in front of his new daddy. Yeah. uh, He's a three on characterization. Uh, I'm slightly more generous. I have it as a four. Okay. So... Of course this is what Trip does. And of course he learned it from Archer. Yep. This is a hundred percent consistent with Trip Trip's behavior. But Archer's a mess. <laughs> Archer is a direct interventionist, and I can't believe he can read Trip the Riot Act. When if he'd been the one to interact with Charles, he would have been yelling at Katsulis on the verge of tears. <laughs> it's true. Um couple of things i liked command t-pole in this one yeah i liked when she was uh when she told reed that he had been banned from the alien ship and uh i wonder why that was yeah. <laughs> you mean trip uh the- when trip had been banned yeah yeah. <clears throat> yeah um but no more reed stuff huh yeah. I don't need it. It would be good if we could just kind of face it. I don't need Reed's I don't need Reed's sex adventures. At this point it comes off like you're trying to prove that he's not gay. I don't like that he is the fourth most important character on this show. Yeah. He should be somewhere below. Yeah, Everyone. but like who, who do you want to elevate here? Flocks? Hoshi, I guess when Hoshi got her groove back, there was some work she did in that that wasn't awful. I think they don't even are they don't even pretend to know how to write for Hoshi. I think maybe you'd just make sure Flocks gets uh, Reed's work. That's I guess it's got to be Flocks. Um, um, it's a four for me. I agreed with Ben that it was a three. Um, let's see. Reed came over to meet alien women, and I went, oh, come on, out loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he was doing this cheese sex thing with this lady. Oh, God, that was very painful. Which made me very upset. And then he made some show me jokes. Like, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. And I'm like, what yep. the, f- the fuck this? Uh, Trip gets to be the one to interfere in alien shit again. Um, I hope he doesn't do a Soren with this cogenitor. Dude, he brought her a pad to teach her to read. That's his solution. <laughs> this is This episode shares a lot in common with the Voyager episode this week. And in particular, his plan and Bellana's plan to me, each time I was like, what is the plan? Okay, so he's going to teach her to read? Teach one cogenitor how to read in secret five-minute sessions. And that's going to save all the cogenitors in what way? Like, who's that going to, what's that going to do? He doesn't, like, go to the people who are responsible for treating them this way and try to stop no. them. He, like, literally his plan is just to, like, sneak into her quarters every once in a while and give her a pad. No, these guys have been swallowing. It just takes one person to oh. start a revolution. So and uh, and he's, I mean, God bless him. His heart's in the right place. Like, you know, we're gonna raise, we're gonna raise Charles up by its bootstraps. <laughs> we're gonna teach it to read. Every time you call and, it Charles, it takes me a quarter second to realize who it is. 
<laughs> I forgot. I don't forget. I know it's the name Charles, but every time you go Charles, I just go, what the fuck? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, um... Yeah, it's just, it's the naivete of it. Yeah, it's just, it's, again, and the way he, like, sits there and smiles at everyone as he explains what he's doing, I really don't think he ever intended this to be a secret. I think he thought he was going to start a revolution, and he was eager to get that part started. Well, no, here's the thing. He wasn't going to start it. He was going to fuck off. Yeah. He was going to make Charles That's start right. the revolution. Exactly, but he did his part. Well, I taught you to read, and I showed you the day the earth stood still. The rest is up to you. That's oh, right. I taught you to play Go. I played some classical music for you long after I was already in trouble for doing this. Yep. Um, Let's see. Archer is happy like a twit that he gets to hang out with... Uh, what's his name? Remick? That's not it. Drenick. Drenick. Um, but I don't blame him. I like to hang out with that guy, too. No, I mean, that's... He's got Tomalock and Jakar right there. For a second, I thought Archer was about to crash somebody else's car, and that is a nightmare of mine. Because it is, like, <laughs> yep. so impolite. Yep, the dude's like, go around go around the flare, go up, and he's like, we're gonna have to go through and it. I, oh, no, 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 you should oh, do what the oh, guy God. says, it's his car. There's a reason he doesn't want you to fly through that solar flare. <laughs> but, you know. Um, You've never done this? Archer's a surfer, I guess. He went body surfing one time. Oh, that's right. <laughs> um, T-Pool is a pretty disingenuous conversationalist. She always acts like she doesn't understand what somebody is saying. Just to be a bee, I think. <laughs> She's always, like, she'll just reply with something that is obviously not what. Like, three times in this episode, in one conversation with Trip. She replied with something super disingenuous, pretending like she didn't understand the point of what he was saying. It just makes the conversation longer. Like, can we just get in and out on this? <laughs> She's willing to let Archer hand out the punishments to Trip, even though he won't be back for a couple of days. So she goes, don't do that anymore. But then, like, she doesn't look into it. She's not like, you're confined to quarters. There's nothing like that. So he just keeps doing his thing. Yeah. I think she needs to step up, but I think she's she's waiting for Archer to come back because if she punishes Archer's best friend, she's afraid she's going to get in the shit. Um, she's sick of these fucking three-way conversations with both of them, I think. <laughs> that's right. Look, the people on this show are morons. <laughs> like how bad is it when in one episode you have like three characters who are worse than Archer? That's not good. Um, so that's why it was a 3 for me. I think that's fair. Did you bother to write down any quick hitters for this? We know Ben didn't. Uh, let's see. Um, I like how in-universe they make comments about how they always end up in a shooting match with every new alien. I'm glad that's not lost on the actual characters in this show. Yeah. Again, now... I mean, it's it was just to give Reed something to say, but yes. Now we got cheese... Oh, actually, maybe it was Trip. Now we got cheese perverts writing this show. <laughs> it's not just feet people now now we got weird like food sex people i fucking hate these writers by the way this guy uh the poor man's jimmy smith's trying to be so patient with trip's sex questions yep i'd be like uh hey look bro here's a book i bought about it just read that and don't ask me any more about how my wife and i make babies okay like i tried really hard to be cool about it but you've asked me nothing but questions about me and my wife fucking. So it's like, listen, I, I don't, I just don't want to get to the part of this conversation where you want to watch. That's right. Like I get that I'm supposed to be like really patient because we just met and everything, and 
species do things differently, but you're not. I have to hang out with you because I'm the engineer and you're the engineer. <laughs> Let's not make this a thing where I'm going to invite you over for like a fucking key party or something. Like, please leave and read this book about sex. Um, that's all I had. Did uh, Did Ben have quick hitters? Looks like he did not. This. Uh. So, I mean, here it is for this episode. On the one hand, Archer doesn't have a leg to stand on here. He's done, like, 20 jailbreaks by now. Oh, yeah. Famous for it throughout the whole fucking quadrant. That's what that other guy said. But on the other hand, Trip should really be pretty wary about getting involved with aliens, especially in areas of sex and reproduction. Yeah. Like, he should have he known to sit this one out. He doesn't remember, I guess, that he went on a rowboat with that lady. Still, I gave best actor to Trip and worst actor to Reed. <laughs> uh, I mean, there nothing that Archer does in the pod with Catsulas is anything. No, I again, we don't I even really... get to. There's a part where they cut back to him and Catsulas is like, "Your father, you say?" And I was like, "Oh, he's been boring him with stories about his dad." But no, Catsulas is just like, "Oh yeah, warp drive was invented so long ago. It's crazy that Did I could be meeting someone whose dad yeah. worked on it." Like. I think the, I really do think the whole reason they showed all that stuff in that pod, well, like you said, one, they need the things to break up the plot, but two... They need to be like, this has all happened over three days. I think they were just trying to be like, sometimes you'll just meet a nice alien and you won't even know he's from a terrible species. He yep. <laughs> does bad things because you're just having such a fucking cool time. <clears throat> uh... Second place last week was TNG. I was a tie, right? No, Tiebreaker. Tiebreaker uh, went to TNG, so second place was technically oh. DS9. Uh, Tiebreaker went to TNG. Oh, you're right. I've got these in the wrong order. Yeah. Second place last week was Deep Space Nine. Uh, we that means this week we watched The Search Part Two. So, picking up uh, just right after the part that I, like, passed out through in the last week's episode. You know, when all the changelings <laughs> came out of the changeling ocean. Right. And then let Odo know that he was home in that Omarion uh, if I hadn't, If I hadn't said anything, you would have been like, what? I literally just, like, just, I, don't, I still don't know what happened. I think I have, like, global transient amnesia or something. I don't know. You you missed that part, and you but, but because you've seen Deep Space Nine before, I you thought, thought that it had already been revealed. That. All the way to the end of this episode. That's right. <laughs> That's okay, because a lot of the world building points from what I was going to give last week go to this week. Um, That's true. So picking up from there, uh, Odo and Kira is hanging out with this lady shapeshifter, and she's, I don't know, she's sort of cagey. She's she's letting some details out here and there about um, why they live here in the B2K nebula. And um, I looked it up, by the way, it was B2K. That Omarion cool. was in. Omarion for B2K, everybody. <laughs> it's, it's cool. Had That's the, a one percenter. Their debut album, 1998. It went to number two on the charts. Um, and uh, I don't know. She's like encouraging Odo to become a tree or become a rock or a, probably some kind of crazy owl or something. Um, and uh, she like, I'll just do this whole plot first. She like links with him a little bit. And, 
there's a big gruff changeling behind her who's like, no, it's too soon. And then I was trying to figure out why the changelings have different shapes and voices and stuff if they don't like solids and don't like being solid. Like, what's the yeah, point of being to have one default solid? It does not. What's the point of being the big gruff one? Like, why? He was feeling gruff that day. <laughs> yes. Uh, and Odo senses that they're not necessarily telling him everything. He's kind of treating this whole thing like one of his standard investigations, asking a lot of questions, trying to get trying to get some dang old answers. Kira is super patient for someone who has been kidnapped. Yeah. She is like um, telling him to be nice to the other changelings and take his time and chew his food and all this shit. <laughs> and meanwhile, she's uh, she's noticed that there's uh, some kind of um, uh, uh, some something preventing her from communicating with the outside world and trying to uh, find her friends who, as far as they know, got killed by some Jemadars. But she's going to work on some um, some secret uh, Bajoran resistance shit to try to get a message out or detect a message from Cisco or whatever. So she's doing that in the shuttle for a lot of the time. She eventually figures out that the dang source of the thing interfering with her signals is right there on that planet, and she convinces Odo to go help her look for it, and they find a crazy door. Right? Find a crazy door that, like, you could only open from one side or whatever or i guess if you were an odo you could open it yeah if you can make your hand into a key (laughs) you can open this fucking door right but they treat the door like it's crazy just for being there that's right they say over and over again well you wouldn't need a door need a door and it's like dog they don't want to get flies in their liquid (laughs) that's right it's very annoying doors are useful even if you can change your shape they help partition the world into an outside and an inside (laughs) Odo doesn't understand the concept of outside and inside is what oh he immediately he immediately says the same thing she says which is why would we need a door my people hate to take human form dog (laughs) they can be a pool inside too anyway um, they just don't want to have to air condition the whole fucking planet. I'll get to what's inside the door later because it has to do with the other plot. Uh, Cisco uh, and Bashir are in a shuttle. Looks like they made it off the Defiant somehow. And they're trying to get back to the Alpha Quadrant, but their shuttle's in pretty bad shape. And suddenly, uh-oh, it sounds like they've been tractored. Tractor beamed in. And they're ready for a fight, but when the shuttle door opens, it's just Dax and O'Brien who had been left on that... Uh, relay station in the previous episode and they say hey we've been looking for you and we haven't found the others yet but there's a lot of really cool shit happening that you need to see back on the station and you know what because it's starfleet they probably made him wait to get back to the station instead of just (laughs) telling him what was up (laughs) he probably did um (laughs) when he does get back he runs into admiral nechev remember her she's uh well i guess we haven't seen her in this project yet but Wait, did we? Uh, no, we have. Yeah, we did. During the Maquis stuff. She, she showed up in that Maquis arc. Yeah, so she's there. She's still running the show around Cardassia. She's hanging out there because it turns out the Dominion are looking for peace. They're going to they're gonna come to a, an understanding with the Federation after all. And everything's going to be A-OK. But uh, the crew starts to realize that shit is not um, as rosy as it appears. Because... I think the first thing that they notice is wrong is that the Romulans have not been invited. Yeah, the Romulans are getting cut out of this deal. That every major power in the Quadrant has been invited, including the Cardassians, but not the Romulans. 
Um, and I don't know if that was for the sake of the person they were trying to shoehorn in as a new main character, uh, Romulan. To rule. Romulan Fresca. But, uh, so that's when they start to realize shit's kind of weird. And then the Dominions start to really run roughshod over the station, and they're, like, beating up an O'Brien, like such as. And, um... And Dax gets reassigned, and so all the shit Cisco's been worried about starts to come to a head. And when he confronts uh, Necheyev and the Vorta, who is uh, running the negotiations for the Dominion, uh, Necheyev tells him that uh, the Dominion are going to be taking over Deep Space Nine, and they're going to run Bajor and the wormhole and all that shit, and that's the price of peace. Um, well, they don't like that. Cisco has a cryptic conversation with Garrick. Um, got the replimat. And during their conversation about, uh, what, you know, all the shit that's going down and what they're going to have to do about it, uh, the Romulan comes out, Romulan Fresca comes out screaming about how, uh, Cisco has to save her or whatever, but she gets shot in the back by, uh, a Jem'Hadar. Cisco tries to fight the Jem'Hadar and gets put in the brig. And then, uh, Dax and, uh, company go to bust him out and they, um, put Eddington to sleep and they break Cisco out of his cell. And then it's a, it's a fight to one of the runabouts because they've decided they're going to go uh, extreme and they're going to blow the whole wormhole to stop the Jem'Hadar from their plan of uh, conquering the Federation with um, negotiations, basically. Yep. So again, they fight their way to the runabout. They go out there to do their business, whatever, because it all turns out it's fake. Yeah, Garrick gets killed on the way there. Yeah, Garrick gets killed. The Romulan's already been killed. So they got a couple of deaths in here, which should tip everyone off at home that, you know, this probably isn't really happening. Yep. When Garrick dies, that's how we know it's a big fake. Yeah. Turns out uh, what's behind that door in the Omarion Nebula is uh, Cisco and crew all uh, dreaming this shared dream about what would happen if the Dominion used this particular strategy. Yeah, it's, it doesn't have Michael McKean as a clown or whatever, but it's basically the same as that Voyager Same device. Episode. Same device as that one where they're all plugged into the same dream, and it's so that the Dominion can gauge what the Starfleet response would be if this is the path they decided to go down. Um, how how far would they go to stop uh, the Jem'Hadar from taking over the Alpha Quadrant or whatever? Uh, so Odo uh, makes a big fuss because these are his best, best friends. And the uh, changeling's like, hey, um, solids are bad and they were mean to us once and we got to do what we got to do. So uh, Odo and the changeling lady agree to part ways and she lets them all go because I think she senses she'd have to kill Odo to get to keep the others. Yeah, and, and they've got uh, they've got that Planet of the Apes rule. Yep. Ape shall not kill ape. <laughs> so right. Exactly correct. So they all just decide to go home, and I think they're allowed to go home on the Defiant, though I assume all of its secrets have, has been revealed, and they know everything about Federation technology now. Anyway, um, so that completes that little arc. What was this one about? There's no such thing as a free lunch. Okay. Um, both Cisco and Odo are getting what they want from the Dominion here, right? Mm. Peace, uh, a home, new home. But uh, for both of them, the price ends up being too great. Right. And they have to set their own wishes aside to do what's right. Um, 
I think uh, I so when I was watching this, uh, or when I when I decided that that was what this episode was about, because let's be honest, it's this is plot advancement. Yes, a lot of plot. Uh, I felt like uh, actually super applicable now. I don't know how applicable it was in the nineties, but uh, there's a lot of people who are putting up with some heinous shit because they perceive that they're getting some small advantage right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just pessimistic that people are will eventually pull a Cisco and take a stand and not just bury their head in the sand. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know that this was particularly in season three of Deep Space Nine. Uh, that 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 was any part of what was happening here. I just think it's sort of a be careful what you wish for or mm-hmm. what will you you know you say you want peace. What will you pay to get it, etc. So it's a, just a five point take for me. Yeah, I um. I have sort of a related take. It's only a four for me. I have there's danger in peace as well as war. I think this is where Marjan would say the show starts to stray from like the idyllic hippie paradise created by Roddenberry and into a more cynical kind of program. And DS9 obviously takes the lead on this, and I think it starts here with this Dominion mini arc. Right. The, this is the show that began after Roddenberry's death. Right. So this is like kind of an extremely anti-Starfleet or anti-Star Trek message that you should watch out for people who are trying to conquer you with friendship and cooperation or whatever. And I think that's because it makes the alternative more readily acceptable, which is to fight and kill. But I'm not sure what else the episode could be saying. The point seems to be, look at how bad and scary the Dominion is because they've got these deep schemes and strategies where they're seemingly going to give you the peace that you want but what they're really doing is conquering you without a fight also this can be true in real life like this has happened in history but it won't matter unless you're planning defense strategy at the highest levels yeah it's true like, right? what am i gonna it's do with peace, this? It's peace in our time or whatever but <laughs> it's like uh very few people this is not this is not broadly applicable yeah so for me it was only a, a four uh, what did Ben have? Let's see. Home is where your bucket is. Uh, um, I guess, so this he has sort of the, well, so I thought that the last episode was about home. Right. I think I said, you, you, like, you can only have one home at a time, or mm-hmm. you have to give up your old home to get a new home, something like that, because, you know, Jake and Cisco suddenly realizing Deep Space Nine is their home. Yeah. Odo's thinking maybe it's not his anymore, etc. But this Odo plot does continue in that way, and you were right. I mean, he does have to choose yeah. what's more important to women. Yeah. Uh, he thinks he has it as a five. Okay. Um, he has a four for execution. Uh, he said he liked having uh, this long character arc with Odo as a close-up. Mm-hmm. Um, he thought it was good contrast and effective storytelling. But only a four. Yeah, apparently. Um, I gave it a seven. So, while the take is very anti-Trek, it's actually pretty effective as a means of making the Dominion scarier, which is the, I think, the goal of these three episodes that we've seen. The Dominion and the Search 1 and 2. They're extremely clever. They plan very deeply. It's the third episode in a row that demonstrates how far behind the Federation is by comparison, not only in terms of technology, but also in terms of, like, 
general preparedness for a fight, psychology, mm-hmm. willpower, strategic thinking. It's probably supposed to mirror like Europe's state of mind just before World War II when faced with Hitler or whatever. When they would have felt like they were way behind. When they, as it, it all started to go bad, they would have been like, oh, we are not ready for this because we have purposely not been getting ready. <laughs> We've been yeah. like trying to avoid this thing. Um, anyway, it's to me, it's effective every time that I watch these episodes as a means of scaring the audience into watching, I think. Um, it's tough to call anything a great episode when a lot of its contents turn out to be like a fantasy or dream or anything like yep. that. I mean, like, it ends up being the opposite of a great ending because all the stakes and the paranoia and the mood that they built up is punted to some future arc. If you're lucky. Yeah. Uh, And so it maybe feels like an overreach, given that there are almost five full seasons left of the show, to have all of this drama and then have it lead to nothing. Um, But I guess we can assume the Dominion are going to be around for a long, long time. Um, So it was only a seven for me, even though I thought it was really effective. I uh, had it a little lower. Okay. So... Uh, I have it as a four. Okay. Like you said, half this episode is a whoopsie. Yeah. So, you, you know, I'm never into that. It's like, it shows us what, how Cisco and I guess Dax, O'Brien, Bashir, and Tarul. Yeah. Like the characterization can still work in, in that scenario, but like it doesn't, there's nothing in there to imply that the shady acts that Necheyev uh, is are is up to yeah. are reasonable, like that the scenario is realistic. Sure, I mean they certainly actually, feel that it isn't. They're all in bewilderment the whole time. Yeah, they can't believe that this would really happen, which should I guess be a clue to the founders, yeah, to the changelings, right? I don't think it would have hurt the show at all to clue us in on what was happening here. Yeah, like, um, for instance, if Kira and Odo had been in that half too, yeah. You know, like simulated Kira and Odo. I don't think it would have hurt any. Maybe, you know, I guess you could say maybe the Dominion didn't do that because they, they didn't think they'd be able to simulate them well enough. Oh, because they weren't in the machine or whatever. Right, they weren't in the machine. But they would just do it the same way they simulated Garrick, which I assume, although we'll go over, over it in world building, is something that they're just taking directly from the mind of the people. Could 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 be. Not clear. Could, yeah. could just be from their own spies on the station, right? Yep. Like, Garrick is mysterious, so I guess if you have him do anything and it doesn't quite track, no one's going to immediately be like, Garrick wouldn't do that. Yeah, but they did nail it. They, well, they sure they And he that. has that coy conversation. Andrew Robinson nailed it. Yeah, he has that coy conversation with Cisco at the Rebelman, and I was just thinking, their intelligence would have to be wild. That's true. <laughs> like, um, but, like, they could also have just uh, shown the new Vorta guy reviewing the results of the simulation at a commercial break or something to give it away. Yeah. I don't think it would have hurt the show to let us know that something was up. Yeah, I agree. I also thought there was surprisingly little tension between Kira and Odo. Yes. And also not that much discussion of how he's feeling, why he's helping her investigate this door, like any kind of torn loyalty. Yeah, he could have been like, or maybe he just, it's too good to be true or something or right, like, anything. Like, yeah. His motivations and his feel like, and he's a guy who plays it close to the chest, so I understand. But it doesn't help the story yeah. that it works this way. And again, I guess everyone's just real lucky that the changelings 
let everyone go. Yep. But how did Odo know that would happen? Yeah. How did Odo know that he could just say, I'm taking these pe- I'm leaving and I'm taking these people with me and this ends now and that everyone would just be like, ah, fuck. All right. <laughs> yep. You Another know. The thing I said about apes earlier. They're playing with the apes. So I think that those are some weaknesses in just the story craft here in this episode. Yeah. I do, by the way, I do agree that there is, uh, it, they do a good job of setting the Dominion up as a threat. Yeah. Um, there is tension in the episode. It's just, uh, I wanted it to be better, yep. I guess. Uh, um, ben gave, oh, we already talked about the four on execution. He gave it a seven on world building. Yeah. Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Ben was actually yeah, very this, conservative on scoring this week. This one just edged cogenitor mm-hmm. for Ben. So uh, he, uh, the shapeshifters in the Dominion, right? Yeah. Like that's what's going on here. It's a big that's end. the world building that happens in this episode. Uh, he thinks it's a seven. Where are you? Mm, I think you just went. So yeah, it's me. Uh, I know where I am. Uh, I'm a five on world building. Okay. So So better than average, but not. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's too personal. Okay. To be real big, but here's some stuff. Uh, Changelings live a long time. Yeah. They're the founders. Um. We learn their version of why the Dominion was founded. Again, they claim to have been persecuted, etc. It makes sense that they live on this crazy world because of that. Because it doesn't seem like an ideal place to live. It has no sun. But uh, we don't know that that's necessarily true. And then they tease some stuff about Odo's past here. Hmm. About how they sent out hundreds of changeling scouts mm-hmm. and that they didn't expect to hear from any of them yet but because of the wormhole odo got back early yeah and again who knows what can be believed because they are right. very manipulative um i i actually don't think that we learned so that the trouble is we didn't learn anything real about the nature of the relationships in the alpha quadrant like everything that is interesting about what could have been happening there. Where, why are the Romulans getting cut out? Yeah. Oh, all of the Alpha Quadrant races are being part of this negotiation. Well, none of that was real. Yeah, certainly none of so, that can be in world building for yeah. sure. So it's it's just um, uh, the Dominion stuff is teased. A lot of it is still teased. Mm. So we know that the founders are in charge. Uh, it's not yet clear what role the Vorta play. Right. I don't know that they've said the word Vorta yet. Maybe they have. I don't know. I think maybe the um, Quark's contact last week said it. Uh, uh, yeah, that's when we found out they were the Dominion's administrators or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm a five. I'm guessing... Well, where are you, actually? I am a little bit more than that. Um, let's start with questions. I have changeling questions. One of them is what I asked earlier. If they don't like being solids and they reject their whole world, why do they all have unique solid appearances and voices? Why do they have a canonical solid form? Like, I get that you have to pick actors (laughs) to play them and that the actors are going to be different. 
But in yep. universe, what's again, what is the point of being the big gruff one? Well, I mean, except that they don't have to, right? So like the way the prophets always appear in the orbs mm-hmm. are as est- established people who mean something to the people they're talking to, right? Yeah. Like there could have been these guys are changelings. There could have been a choice to make them do that. Except I think at this point, no one had discovered the idea that a changeling could look exactly like someone else because these dudes just look like Odo. Yeah, and why are they and Odo only able to make that exact same? Or they're not only able to, again, we find out later, but why do they choose when they're being solids, but not a specific solid person? Why do they all look like that? How did Odo And why does it look so much like the progenitors from The Chase? Is it just because this woman played one of the, played the progenitor in The Chase? Yeah. And like, also, is that just in Odo's DNA that that's the best he can do to look like the solid? Because they look just like him. Or did they do it to make him feel comfortable? I have so many questions. Yeah, they don't, they don't really get into any of that. We don't have any answers on that yet. We learn way more about their um, weird Zen philosophy about becoming a rock than we do about any of their capabilities. All right. Uh, Let's see. The Great Link. Which I guess where uh, you can just be an ocean of changelings altogether, thinking thoughts or whatever. Um, yeah, all the stuff about all the Odos getting sent around the galaxy, and then they're like programmed to come home. Again, if that's true. They have the tech, like we said, to make the Starfleet officers play around in a very realistic fantasy world. No Ambassador Tomalak issues show up, apparently. No, 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 no barrage problems. No, uh, despite everything being crazy there, nobody suspects that anything's up. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the, one thing that's big. The Dominion are at least exploring their options for conquering the Alpha Quadrant. Yes. This is a, they are planning deeply, and maybe they want to do it and maybe they don't, but they are at least in the planning stages to figure out what a good strategy would be because they are specifically trying out this non-combat beat them without fighting strategy. Yeah, maybe they can do it Vorta way instead of Jem'Hadar way. Mm -hmm. So that's big because in the previous two episodes, I guess what we had found out was they did not want Starfleet in their quadrant. But that's very different from planning to invade the other quadrant. So that would be a little bit scarier and sort of change starfleet's philosophy and and everything like that um the changelings being the founders themselves and that odo is a main character and that he is one is a large world building point because you can assume this is going to have a lot of consequences in the future that this is going to be a major plot point because they've built the dominion up and it is completely unresolved and so if he's the same race as the ruler of them that's going to be something that comes back a lot so that's a big world world building change and uh, blowing the wormhole is still a real option, according to Cisco and company's brains. They are... Yeah, they don't seem to have thought about the fact that people live there, but maybe they also don't think they can hurt them. <laughs> That's right. They're like, uh, those wormhole aliens, hey, thanks for the good times. we uh <laughs> never going to see you again. We're blowing the wormhole. Smell you later. Yeah. And, I, and again, I think that might have something to do with Kira not being in that part of the fantasy. Because uh, she might have had something to say about it. Um, but that's still yeah, she might not have been excited about that, that. Cisco at least is absolutely willing to do. So I feel like there's a lot of world building in there, and that's why I gave it as much as an eight. Oh, I feel like th- there's not much more you could do in one episode to change. Other than that, thought creates reality. No, well, it does though. <laughs> that's pretty much the only thing that's bigger. 
Uh, no, it does seem like it's going to be big, especially given that this is the third Dominion episode in a row. Yeah, they're they're building it. It does. There's like, and there's we had no the whole way slow that this build. is. We're not learning like, uh, you know, the Federation doesn't have any laws against genocide. Apparently, <laughs> we will learn in a very bad episode the survivors, but we also know we're never going to see Kevin Oxbridge again. No, God, I love That's, that. I really it's not the case. I really love that Picard. Uh, the Picard just says we don't have a crime. We don't have a. There's no law, there's no law in our that, books. It's like yeah, no, there are though. They exist. There are laws no, against I bet, genocide. I straight up bet there is. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's see characterization. Yeah, you've been rosy on this episode so far. How to do character? Yeah, I give it a four on take, but other than that, I've I've given it good uh, good numbers. Um, let's see. As we mentioned, Kira is super chill about Odo kidnapping her to this place while her comrades are probably dying horribly somewhere. Um, just smiling and encouraging him to take his time and be nice. She is very confident that these changelings will just let her sit in her shuttle and call her friends. Yep. <laughs> She's like, "Don't worry about it. I was in the resistance. I can be secret." And then she just goes in the shuttle and is like, Computer! Contact Starfleet! Call Starfleet! Do it Bajoran style! Call Starfleet quiet! <laughs> um, Cisco is suspicious of the Dominion, but given his few encounters have all been violent, uh, you can't blame him. Uh, he doesn't like the Cardis either. He's so outraged that the Cardis are invited, but not the uh, Romulans. Yep. He's like, come on, they invited the Cardassians. But again, given his recent history with them, <clears throat> yeah, uh, Cisco. Would... Yeah, you think you think his objection would be that the Cardassians are minor players in the Alpha Quadrant? But no, it's just that they're jerks because they're like, well, we thought the Romulans would bring an element of instability to the negotiations, and he's like, and you invited those assholes. Uh, he's super hot after Dax is transferred and O'Brien gets beaten up. Goes in there and screams it in Chev, and I thought, yeah, Avery. <laughs> do it this has nothing to do with your single dad stuff so get after it this is your chance yeah it is nice to see him excited about it a role that's not you're too young to have a girlfriend or whatever <laughs> i i was upset that i couldn't count garrick for any of this because he was fake yeah um odo treats his whole stay in the nebula as he would like the rest of his job and his life He's like, he's excited to be home, but he doesn't necessarily trust that what he's hearing is the truth. And yep. he it totally helps Kira figure out what's happening and what's going on behind that door and shit. And then he chooses... Yeah, his daddy did a number on him, huh? Dr. Mora. Yeah. Uh, then he chooses to go back with his crew rather than stay with uh, his people when he finds out they're paranoid and scary powerful. He does really... He is real hokey about it and announces that they're his family. That's right. Well, even Quark. He probably says especially Quark. <laughs> Who's not there. Quark fucks off halfway through the last... I don't know we even talked about it, but he's like, I, look, I got you your answers now. Don't make me go on the rest of the I'm going to hang out with I'll this guy. We're going to talk business. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's why O'Brien... Like, the Quark was in the bar talking uh, about how peace was going to be so great for business or whatever in this episode, and I actually had to go back and check to see whether he had stayed on the Defiant last episode. Right. Um, I did not remember <laughs> at all. No, Quark basically says to Cisco, I'm not in part two, so... <laughs> I'm not in the rest of part one either. Can I leave? Uh, Dax and Bashir and O'Brien are all in it, but they don't do much. They just... They're like Cisco Jr. Um, 
uh, these chodes get Dax and O'Brien get fooled the most. Yeah. But we'll talk about it later. But like the the official story is that they convinced the Dominion yeah. that the Federation was you know really was serious about negotiating and just wanted peace. They got the Dominion to the fucking table. That's nice, by the way, because that they were willing to carry out their mission. The weird secret commando uh, negotiations. Yep. Where they were going to sneak into someone's bedroom and then tell them they were best friends. You know why Listen, I... Listen, s- I know it seems sinister that we're here, but... <laughs> you know why I snuck in your window and why I'm sitting on your bed? Just because I'm your buddy. <laughs> we're buddies. We're friends now. Uh, it's a five for me. Uh, I have it as a five also. So initially I thought hard to award a bunch of points for the sim half. But I guess the people who are going through it yeah, that's all are going through it. Real so emotions like, and shit. Anyway, it made sense to me that Cisco, who had just been through the Maquis conflict, would be pretty disillusioned by Starfleet doing the Romulans dirty. Yeah. Like, you know, he's his the whole the whole thing with the Deep Space Nine is are we the good guys or the bad guys? <laughs> right. Uh, I felt like Kira was trying to be a buddy to Odo and let him work it all out. Mm -hmm. Despite the fact that she's barely in this episode. I liked it, but I also think that I tend to give her more credit because I think she's basically the best actor on the show. It could be. I mean, I like Garrick, but I like the character of Garrick. And his actor is pulling it off. Yeah, he totally is. Um, I would have liked more from Odo in this. That's the big criticism for me is that he's going through a lot and we don't get to learn anything about it. Yeah. It wouldn't even have been the end of the world to just give him an episode. You know what I mean? And then do this other one in part three. Exactly. Like maybe at the end of part two, they hit the door and then part three plays out and then they meet up at the end of part three. Make something more sinister be behind that door. Like when they get close, they could, they know there's a com badge back there or something. Right. But like, don't make the door itself. I have mentioned several times. <laughs> yes. I don't. It's not sinister on its own if you think about it for one second. Right. <laughs> um. So yeah, I'm a five for characterization. Also, did we say Ben gave it a four? The Ben's a four. He says smiling Odo is creepy as hell, and he's glad they don't do it often. Yeah, and it's, uh, he, he points out that Odo continues to be an outcast even among his own species. So yeah. it's like cool. You find your way home, but you don't belong there either. Um, and he says, Nechev says Cisco's always wanted an admiralty. It's never seemed like but it. But he did admit we, there was a time. He did. He did think that he'd be roaming the halls of whatever. He, now, it's kind of, well, did it come up with Cal? Did they think they were going to be admirals? No, or? it came up. It was last week or the week It came up before. in part one. Yes. Where he, when he's talking about how Starfleet didn't, like how in, as part of Earth isn't, he realized Earth isn't really his home anymore. Yeah. And when he was in Starfleet headquarters, he was like, you know, I thought that I'd be here someday, but it, that's it doesn't feel like home in that sense either. Yeah. So it was in that context. Um, you got some uh, some quick ones. I do, but let's start with Ben's. This one is a Jonathan Frakes joint. Uh, so we uh, we have a two alumni week. Do you guys just watch the names as they pop up on the screen? I feel like I never pay attention to those. Sometimes I see it in the names. Um, after I've watched the episode, I do often check uh, Memory Alpha and uh, EAS mm. 
just to uh, just to see if I'm going to miss anything, if there's anything interesting happening that I didn't see when I watched it. Yeah. Uh, quick hitters. Uh, would you call what we just did sex? <laughs> like the <laughs> linking that she does with him. Someone it, is excited that they might have had yeah. sex. <laughs> Can I technically tell my friends I had sex? I mean, was that sex? Can folks? I like tell? Can I go back and tell Quark I've had sex now? Um. Also, that it's exactly like in First Contact when the Borg Queen is blowing on Data's new arm Ugh. skin to seduce him, but somehow it's even worse to me. A lot of pervs right in the show. Um. By. By changeling philosophy, Odo knows all about Klingon chairs. It's the only <laughs> thing he's been. He knows what it's like to really be a chair. Uh, then real question is, why would shapeshifters need a door? The dumbest question yet asked in Star Trek. <laughs> Again. Because they ask it twice. It, so this is just all I'm saying. Doesn't, Godo has not yet learned the concept of inside and outside. That's all there is to it. Well, Kira asks it too. Well, why so. would she know it? She lived in a concentration camp. Are you against that now? You're against people from concentration camps? I guess. Right. Uh, and then when uh, then I wrote, uh-oh, Garrick doesn't die. It's shenanigans. Yeah. You knew. The whole thing was shenanigans the whole time. You knew he lives th- for at least for a while. I know we got Garrick for a while longer. Yeah. I've seen him in Star Trek Online. Oh, you know you have him for the long haul. Yeah. He even I know s- he makes it through the whole fucking series. Yeah, probably outlives the guy who does it for Lakarian City. It's unclear what happens to him. <laughs> there are some minor references to Lakari and again, in Star Trek Online. You know how angry I am that it is unclear what happens to him. Because yeah. he should have all the spinoffs. Uh, Kiro and Odo just leave that shuttle behind, right? Yeah, I think they all leave on the Defiant, right? Yeah, so um, that's cool. Like, that's the kind of thing a Starfleet officer would do for sure. Um, but do you think Cisco bills Bajor for it? <laughs> I mean, Kira and Odo left that shuttle. Shows behind. up as a new line item, <laughs> right? Uh, like, what is this here? Type uh, Type Six shuttle? What is what? What, what is this? We didn't, we didn't make that we didn't, command. Dis- Odo stole that shuttle. Hey, we didn't buy a shuttle, so I'd like you to explain to my finance guy because I'm going to have to explain to him. <laughs> One of those generals with the uh, corduroy yep. <laughs> pauldrons or whatever calls him in epaulets, and he's like, uh, "Hey." I just got a bill from Starfleet. Uh, Did you know that a Type 6 shuttle costs basically the same as the economic output of the entire Eastern Continent? (laughs) Yeah. Um, We had to sell all our Dalrocks. (laughs) All the Dalrocks are gone. The thing costs almost as much as an industrial replicator, and you know we only got seven of those. So, no, (laughs) tell me about it, though. Are you going to pay for it? It's coming out of your salary, right? You make that much, right? Oh, no way. You don't. Because I'm your boss, and I don't make that much. Do you think that in the scenes that we didn't see, Dax and O'Brien were strutting around hella proud oh. during this sim for bringing the Dominion to the bargaining table? You could already. Do you think Dax like hinted that she expected a promotion, and now she's got to ride back to Deep Space Nine in the Defiant, all quiet? Like, <laughs> uh, it's, we were all—it was a trick. It was well, all a you could see it on her face when they finally meet up, when the door opens and it's Dax and O'Brien, and she's like, "There's a lot of good things happening back on DS9, Benjamin." I did You're it. You're going to be proud of me. I'm the one who did it. <laughs> O'Brien was there, but I did it. 
I gave best actor to Cisco and worst actor to Borath. I uh, mm. don't think we've said his name. That's the other Vorta. Yeah. Uh, to me, he looked like but didn't have the charisma of Paul Shear. <laughs> oh, God. So, enjoy that image, everybody. I'd like to see uh, Paul Shear as a Vorta, but still bald. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. Yeah, that's uh, that's my quick hitters. Uh, did you have any? Yeah, you... uh, I made a note here that I was still weirded out that I had spaced on that changeling ending stuff from the previous episode. Uh, I couldn't remember whether Romulan Fresco was real or not in these fantasies, and it turns out she was also in the machine. But yep, it... probably the last we're going to see of her, though, right? Yes. <laughs> but it was a crazy fantasy that the Romulans wouldn't send somebody else to negotiate, like they wouldn't. Like, they just tell this engineer to, you know, try her best. Yeah, see what you can do. Get in there and get it done. We're not we're not warming Tomalock up over this. <laughs> That's right. And uh, all the weird stuff about uh, Bajor and the Romulans joining forces. I haven't looked at the galactic charts lately. It doesn't seem like they should be close to each other. Are they even able to do that? Can they link Supply up? Supply and communication lines are really... <laughs> really gonna rely on that cloaking device yeah. and whoops we know the dominion scene one yeah they're not they didn't they didn't take but 10 minutes to break that so yeah i, I found all of the that part of the fantasy to be especially weird um but other than stuff like oh hey fake nechev uh, i think i've used all my notes <clears throat> uh we're making pretty good progress this week Okay. And uh, I can't imagine you're going to have a ton to say in your description of this week's Next Generation episode. Quick rundown. Shades of Grey. Riker got raped by a vine. (laughs) It thorned him real good and it put a little fucking microbe in him and that microbe is going to fucking paralyze him and kill him by... Spreading to his brain and turning off all his lights. Anyway, um, Pulaski decides that the only way to keep him alive is to do a Spock's brain on him or something. Put a bunch of stuff in his head that's gonna it's it'll stimulate his neurons directly, and then he'll live that way, I guess. Anyway, um, when she realizes that his um, flashbacks, I mean memories, are having uh, an effect on the microbe. She starts to experiment with them to figure out, like, which are the good ones. Which are the good ways to stimulate them. To make that microbe die. Yep. Troy's there, too, you know, helping. Um, They find out that when he's having the nice, good memories, uh, the microbe gets stronger. But when he has the, the bad, scary memories, it gets weaker. So then she stimulates those, and we get to see all the flashbacks. And then the thing dies, and Riker lives. That's it. That's the episode. What's it? What was it about? So it's it's gonna be always gonna be a little cooked, right? Yeah. Because <clears throat> they were trying to save some money. Hmm. Is that uh, what it was, or, I, or did they think they were gonna get canceled? And they were like, it, "Here are some memories." No, so they had a like a strike shortened season, a writer strike, so they were out of scripts. God, yeah, they were. And they needed to do one on the cheap because they'd spent a lot of money on 
I don't know, one of the other episodes this week. I think they were all out of guest stars, but they still had money for visual effects or something like that. I forget how it went. This was a budget thing. They were not even told you owe us a clip show. Oh, okay. It's not like The Simpsons, right, where Fox told them, you got to do a clip show. Right. And we want a clip show every year or whatever. Um, however, here's my take. Emotions are a product of the body as much as the mind, and they need to be included in any approach to well-being. Okay. That's a very measured and reasonable response. What is that worth? Uh, Four points. Okay. How about you? Um, Mine's a little more cynical. Well, now I feel bad saying it. Well, so here's the thing. Every time I rewatch Shades of Grey, I forget that there's like 20 minutes of wraparound. Yeah, but you don't find it silly that it's like his emotions control the growth of the fire thing? I mean, it's if if you accept that they changed the frequency of the energy and now Junior doesn't want to eat anymore, I think you're kind of stuck with the idea that... I don't accept it! The chem- different chemicals are caused when you have different emotions, like different neurochemicals, and some of them are not good for that virus. Okay. Well, anyway, I had being a happy little wiener is a good way to get it. You have to fight for it, son. Be nasty. It's like the uh, Star Trek equivalent of a football coach grabbing you by the face mask and shouting spittle all over your face. Yeah. Uh, So I'm guessing that wasn't worth a lot of points. No, I gotta give it one. Stoic, joking Riker is going to die. Sounds like he's pretty much accepted it. And then he goes into dreamland, and when he has his happy dreams, he gets, like, closer to dying. But when he has the scary bad dreams where he's fighting for his life, he gets better. So that's nothing. (laughs) to me that was nothing (laughs) yeah um ben's with you he's got a cynical take here the writers are tired and need montage episodes to rest well they were tired like kirk he he did give that two points not just one but um i think he imagines a lot of the writers rubbing their eyes like shatner and he he jumps right into it in execution it's a cop-out episode it's full of flashbacks Seems mad early in the season run to do a uh, series run to do a flashback episode. Yeah. But he thinks that it's a better framing device than most clip shows. And uh, he thinks most of <coughs> most of these moments were worth remembering. But it's uh, he feels like this is a season five device, not a season two. I actually agree with that. They did show things that were important to Riker. They did a good job on the clips. Mostly. I have a couple of ideas. Okay. But yes, the, the clips were not bad from that perspective he gave it four for execution wow. what did you give it i am exactly half of ben on these i gave it a two i see um i thought the bookends were uneven actually i i feel like the stakes are there Riker might die if you thought that there was a chance the show was not going to get picked up which is what i thought was happening then and this is a show that's killed a character Yes, then you might go, hmm, maybe they, maybe this is the end of the show, one, and they're going to kill him. Or... And this started out as a Riker show and became a Picard show. Right. And so that must have been a little bit unsatisfying to old Frakesy. Yes. So the clip show made it feel like the end for Riker and maybe the show. The framing device with all the flashbacks as medical treatment, I found 
the opposite of the way you found it. I found it, well, I'll just say I found it bad and dumb. Um, okay. <laughs> not, I, so maybe you didn't find it the opposite of that. But um, all in all, I thought it was not wonderful. Okay. Uh, I gave it a four. Okay. So I'm with Ben on this one. Um, the One of the basic problems here is that Riker dreams real weird. <laughs> Like his dreams are a TV show on which he's one of about seven main characters. <laughs> and sometimes it cuts away to the bridge, even though he's enveloped in black sludge. Yeah. <laughs> yes, his memories are exactly the way that we saw them. Yes. And there's no alien to explain and, why, like in TOS. And, uh, and no one says to Spock, now wait a minute now, <laughs> Spock. We're watching TV. I'm so glad they did that in that one episode, because then it really, we can render all of the other times that people didn't explain what was going on those people are lazy assholes one writer decided to be like and then the aliens are giving you the show ta-da that's how you can see it um this show's about half wraparound i thought the wraparound wasn't any worse than any other season two tng episode really i just like why is troy there because she's the one who's going to be upset if Riker dies. Well, I feel like she's there to tell Pulaski what kinds of feelings he's having. But Pulaski doesn't need to know that. She just needs to know whether the virus is a, or whatever it is, is responding. Uh, correct. Or not. Nothing Troy does matters in this one. See, but you are she, absolutely correct. But she is there the entire time just fucking flapping her girls at everybody. <laughs> yep. So I, the whole time I was like, what is happening? Why is she in here? And fucking... Um, I would, you know what I wanted to see more of? Jordy. You know how good Jordy was in this episode? Hey, Jordy was very good in this episode. Uh, we'll one. get into it in characterization. Okay. I was just mad. I was like, that's it. No more Jordy the rest of the episode. Well, you know who I want to see more in this series? Jordy, but not what they're going to make him into. Uh, that's true. Yes. They really they really messed with Jordy. They neutered Jordy good. It's already started. It started in Samaritan Snare. Yes, it did. They discovered they like shooting him and stabbing I him. Thought you wanted me to make you go, torturing him, etc. Yeah, making him terrible with women. I give it one for world building. Okay. Um, biofilters and medical overrides. Oh like, God. there's all that business Get out of that my O'Brien's notes. doing. I said that. <laughs> I said biofilters <laughs> and medical overrides. And direct electric stimulation of the brain. No, stop it. <laughs> Uh, so that's the world building, but it obviously it's pretty minor stuff. And the trouble with world building around the transporter is you just know it's not going to be consistent. No, that is a like problem. in this one, the biofilter detected something that it wasn't going to be able to remove, so the transport never even started, yeah. and he had to call someone down to override it. Another one, they're just going to like beam aboard, and then in fact, it's already happened in the fucking unnatural uh, selection. Mm. It's going to beam someone up, and then they're going to have to decide whether the biofilter did anything or not. Yep. So. Mm. Uh, yeah, so just a one for world building for me, and uh, Ben gives it as many as two. Whoa. He says that there are some relatively nearby class M planets that are still being explored for the first time. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Did we hear how close it was? I knew it was unexplored. It's Serata 4 is the planet. Um, I mean, I think... At this point in Next Generation, they're kind of away from the Federation. I think so, too. They're kind of out towards the edges, right? I think that's their mission. They they out in the boonies. 
by by season six or seven or whatever, they just park. like I think basically after Best of Both Worlds, they get called back in closer to home. Yeah, they just park near Cardassia the last two seasons. <laughs> basically, they're, they're just hanging out near Cardassia. There. Yeah. Um. Well, I had uh, the same score and the same words in the same order. Um. <laughs> except I added Serata Four Rhizomatis. Is I guess the the vine. Yeah, it's like a rhizome, that, so I guess that tracks. That attacks them. Um, I, it, that word was said so badly <laughs> that uh, it felt like a sci-fi word. Yeah. Um, both Troy and Pulaski say many times that he's dreaming, but he's clearly just remembering. Um, yes. The uh, microbe is affected by Riker's dumb emotions. Like, it's happy when he's happy, unhappy when he's unhappy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's a one, yeah. Do I need to defend my take a little more? It's like, no, no. we have a tendency to dismiss emotions as being not meaningful and something you can overcome, but they're a physical part of your body. Like, your body has actual physical reactions when you have emotions, sure. and there's chemicals, and there's a bunch of stuff happening, and that kind of shitty attitude is why people don't take depression seriously. Yeah. That's why I gave it as many as four points. It's just, um, because we know the framing device is a clip show. Yeah. It's like... I get it. They had to make it it part of the treatment. The clip show was part of the treatment where it was like, now we have to see the sad memories and what is that doing to the virus? And now we're going to see the... Now we're going to see the ones where he's getting swallowed up by the ink pool (laughs) and that's killing the virus. You know what I mean? Like, it was... um, To me, it was pretty hacky. Um, What did you think character-wise? Pulaski hates the transporter. I, I'm sure she said that before, but I don't remember. Um, O'Brien. Yeah. By the way, that's a, a, a scene that proves that the, the fuck's her name, Muldar, Dana Muldar. Yeah. Not a terrible actor. I thought that her her little movements and her facial expressions as she was climbing into that transporter were pretty good. Yeah, it's her character that's the problem. Yeah. So they just tried to make a. a bones but who comes off even more racist at an even worse time to be racist <laughs> yeah, it's more racist and probably more drunk she does seem to be a drunk yeah uh o'brien thinks it's cool to play with people's transporter fears um yeah that wasn't cool at all o'brien's usually nicer than that yeah, he was fucking with her they have and they have a special bond you know which one yeah, they... <laughs> They have the murder bond. The murder bond. You think they're it would covering be, up a murder? You think the murder bond would keep them pretty tight? Um, Riker is very stoic, telling jokes and facing down death like a pro. Says it's the ultimate test of character. Jordy seems pretty ball, pretty on the ball. That's by the way that that shitty attitude probably came direct from his dad, right? Like the ultimate test of character was not when he should have uh, stood up to Eric Pressman, but didn't. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then also didn't tell Picard about it and had to get a little bit, little bit of a chewing out. No, it's uh, being stoic in the face of death. Yeah, and maybe pretending like you don't have emotions about that's it. That's Hachiyan Karitsu. That's Kyle Riker coming through right there, right? Yeah. Uh, Jordy seems pretty on the ball in this episode. Um, again, I wish there was more Jordy. He's like he he makes Riker. Go back to the ship, even though it's not yep. a serious wound. He treats it seriously, um, like a, like he's a professional explorer. He convinces Data that he has to go along with him back down to the planet, because he knows where the thing was. And when he's there, he 
he runs the show. Data's like, stay away from it. He's like, nah, I got this. Like, you'll you'll catch it if it tries to attack me. Like, you'll he's do the all, grab part yeah, of this. Jordy's all over it in this episode, but then he's only in it for three minutes or whatever. Troy and all her Imzadi stuff, and then, again, sticking around to uh, narrate, I guess. Um, yep. No real character work was done outside of Riker on his maybe deathbed, but the characters were consistent, and they weren't assholes, and Jordy was pretty good, and that's why I gave it as much as a five. Okay. Uh, I am a four on characterization here. Okay. So, I think Riker and Picard do good character work here, but it feels like when Troy came in, no one wanted to deal with the emotional work of her comforting her dying lover, so he just passes out. <laughs> yeah. Like, as soon as Troy shows up, they do, like, one little bit about, oh, I see you're the you're an entertaining patient. He's like, yeah, beep, and he's just gone. <laughs> and it's like, oh, they don't want to have this scene where it's like he's dying and she's saying goodbye. I thought it was lazy. Yeah, that could be. Um, a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, yeah, just a four. Okay. Um, Ben has it as a four also. He says Riker's nasty. He, oh, he was having his sex dreams. I guess because we didn't get to see his sex dreams. Uh, and he's it reminded him that they tried to make the show about Riker and how he used to be a Kirk. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, they made us review the outfit that guy was wearing in Justice with his nuggets and dick all, like, scrunched into <laughs> that fucking doily up front. It was so uncomfortable to look at. The guy was, like, fucking moose-knuckling it hard. Yeah, he sure was. Um, I have uh, quick hitters for this episode. That will not surprise you. No, go for it. Um, starts off with sinister music. Yeah, you know something's up. There's no like right. log or anything. You're just like sinister music. You're in it. Yep. I always like at the, the, TNG has the most dramatic music when it chooses to use it. So I always like that. Yeah, like in the beginning uh, of that Borg episode that we had a few weeks ago, we already knew it was dramatic as soon as that shit started. Exactly. O'Brien with a very inappropriate joke. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned this already. Jordy may know exactly where Riker got stung, but he could also just tell Data. <laughs> like, you know Data has GPS. That's right. And Jordy probably does too, and also they just beamed up from there. Yeah. They beamed up from the spot where Riker got stung. Yep. You could just be like, I bet O'Brien remembers where that send was. Send Data back down to where, where we came from. Right. Uh, it doesn't seem necessary to me to have stripped Riker naked just to stick needles in his brain. <laughs> but that's all medicine. Every time it's like, all right, you can undress now. It's like, well, why? You're looking at my elbow. Like, relax. Yeah, but she had kept she kept him dressed until the moment he passed out. Yeah. I think she just wanted a peek. Well, he got a peek at her uh, clone body, so. He did get to see her clone body. It's only fair. Before he murdered it. And he took a good look, too. Uh, what's up with these needles, by the way? Don't they just have neural stimulators that stick to your head with double-sided tape? Every other this? time, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she has to press three buttons to activate this sequence. She misses two of them. <laughs> Twice she pushes near a button on that panel and does not hit a button. Was it amber, blue, blue? <laughs> Something like press? that. Data, you've been wrong twice. Are you sure? <laughs> episode was shit. That was not good. <laughs> is the simulation... I'm sorry. Is the stimulation preventing the infection from taking hold? Asks Exposition Troy. <laughs> At least it wasn't a walk and talk. She would have really fucked up. Then um, here's one that I probably should have asked in Farpoint. 
Riker looked up Data's record and missed the fact that he went to the academy? <laughs> I looked at your record, he says. And Data says, a wise precaution, sir, always. Uh-huh. When he's still sort of robotic. And then Data says, so your rank of lieutenant commander is honorary. <laughs> Meaning I didn't look at anything. What? I never looked at it. What? I, I honestly, Did he just stop at robot? I saw the part that said lieutenant commander. That's all I saw. Uh, Riker's feelings of warmth and friendship included uh, getting called a bigot and reducing Troy to tears. <laughs> That's true, but he, we know he loves that, though. We if certainly. It fits into the Riker narrative. Uh, and here's one I missed from Up the Long Ladder. How in the hell does Riker know where that bobby pin is in that girl's auburn hair? He was watching her like a hawk. I guess so, man. That's a lot more advanced than unhooking a girl's bra. He knew her. Reaching into a big old thing of hair and finding the one bobby pin that's holding the whole thing up. Probably an accident. He probably just reached in there to get a good handle and then went, oh, what's this? (laughs) He was just trying to get something to grab onto. What's this? Oh, look what I found. (laughs) I laughed out loud at Data saying, it seems to feed on our phaser energy (laughs) (laughs) during skin of evil. That made us so mad in the moment. It doesn't. I don't think it's feeding on it. Based on what? <laughs> I, really, I mean, I can't tell, but I don't think it is. I think it just isn't affected. Is that what you mean? Data, what do you mean? Yeah. And when they showed the first clip with Dr. Crusher in it, I was super excited. I, I was like, oh, yeah. But you know, we're there. Yeah, it's coming up again. Our long national nightmare is over. She'll be back without really any explanation next week. She'll just be randomly back, but like really neutered. Like a really emotionless mannequin mannequin version of her will be back. Like she's been through the ringer with Maurice Hurley, but now he's gone. Um, Why was destroying the Tsiolkovsky a powerful negative emotion? Yeah, he didn't give a shit about that. When they fucking they got pushed dead. by the tractor beam into the star fragment? Was that supposed to be... Why is that one of his powerful negative emotions? Were they just showing ones where they were, like, desperate to survive? Because remember, there was, like, a counting clock. Oh, yeah, yeah. This was the clip at the end where it was, uh... Uh, this is the, this was setting the self-destruct sequence in one one zero zero one zero zero one. Barely getting off of the battress with chorus and heart of glory. Uh, then conspiracy, last outpost, conspiracy one one zero zero one zero zero one. Naked now, skin of evil, matter of honor. One one. I wrote them all down. Yeah. So I think it was literally at that moment he's looking at his sweaty palms and going, "We're not gonna make it." Like okay, so then why was scuttling the lantry a powerful negative emotion? Uh, you remember in Unnatural Selection they go back at the end and it had that beacon the quarantine beacon and they blow it up with one photon torpedo that's the last shot he's scared of explosions (laughs) I don't know wild Mm -hmm. what did you have for quick hitters Jordy is a hell of a shot with that big hoover phaser He's moving yeah. around, the vine's moving around, but he makes a perfect outline of the creature on the vine. Does that yep. motherfucker have auto-aim? Well, I mean, he's got that visor, and frankly, those hoovers, those dustbuster phasers, never seem to shoot in the direction anyone's pointing them. <laughs> yeah, they just go wherever. They're like a thrust-vectored fucking lasers. I mean, it's almost as if someone is drawing a direct line between where the actor was <laughs> randomly pointing the phaser and the thing he's supposed to shoot after the fact. It's a perfect outline around the thing. Um, Pulaski can't even figure out what's keeping this microorganism alive. Hey, just a yeah. hunch, it's probably Riker's big warm body. <laughs> Probably. I think. It's all of that Alaskan Riker meat. <laughs> what does she think's happening? 
Um, not to quibble with Riker, but I have dropped a hammer on my foot before, and I cursed that hammer with every vile insult at my disposal, <laughs> and it felt great. I did feel better. Um, I was. I finished my uh, letter opener today. Yes, and uh, someone. I was. Someone. I was like, ah, it was, it was way too much work to put into. Yeah, a this has been your big someone, project. Someone was like. Uh, yeah, but you did it to be creative, not just for the letter opener. And I said, no, I did it because I was mad at my old letter <laughs> opener. It was pure spite. That's right. So all that shit about that Riker said about not being mad at the hammer. Like, nah, dude, you got it wrong. Um, hey, if Riker's going to be in that bed for a while, can they at least get him like a real pillow? <laughs> not one of them flat That's fucking a... crescents or whatever. No, dog, the Marines folded up a flag. <laughs> And then, but it was made out of uh, glittery couch fabric, and that's what he's laying on. I just felt so bad for the actor. It was like it looked very uncomfortable. Um, this project is actually forcing me to appreciate dream sequences, fantasies, memory flashbacks, because I can actually just sit back and watch, as opposed to type furiously about what the characters are doing and thinking. Oh, you weren't pausing every two seconds to write exactly no, which memory? You were blowing I'll it. I'll send you my fucking notes on this episode. I wrote every one of them down. Yeah, you blew it, for sure. I Every time that happened, I was like, oh, good. And I would just sit back and watch for a little while. And... I assumed that you would make me read this one. And so I wrote <laughs> you were gonna all write, the fuck down. You were going to give us that level of detail? Then he has an imagination, or then he has a memory of, uh, of the Justice Planet. Um... I think Sirtis actually did her best with what was given to her. When I was watching, I felt like she seemed like she was sad. When she wasn't just giving narration. (laughs) Right. When she was saying things like, you have to help him, or whatever. So you don't understand what her point was in the scene at all. No. But you thought she did a good job with it. She did the best that she could. She just shouldn't have been there. Do you remember in season one when we were like, oh man. I know. Oh, this is Troy. I, Troy is not that bad. Yeah, I didn't know. It's a real shame what they do to her later. Yeah, they've done it already. She had no point of being in there at all. Well, this season started with about five episodes in a row where I'm someone keeping was the child to the other woman on the, on the screen. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Or just fucking passes over Troy's entire cleavage and then Nagilam's like, ooh. ooh what is this? Ooh, what is this woman, woman with and an afro? Like, like, me? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, technically. That's true. That was pretty weird. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. We um, Did Ben have any? Uh, by the way, I, I did leave one out. Um, so they do all the horny emotions. Right. And they're so horny. And then uh, Pulaski's like, well, different emotions generate different endorphins. Let's change the current. Right. <clears throat> and then they do... Uh, Tasha Yar's death and Andrew Ian's death in the child. Yeah. And Troy says, oh, now he feels sad. And Pulaski quickly jumps in to say, well, that's the exactly the opposite of horniness. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't understand the opposites either. The opposites are tricky, yeah. though. Like, um, like, uh, you like the movies and I like TV. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you might think those are opposites, like at first blush, but if you think about it a little bit more, you realize they're actually completely unrelated. They're just things that you like. One's not the opposite of the other. They're actually fairly related. Like, they're sort of close. Oh, God. Please never stop using anal- references to that song. 
I'm not. I don't even want to say what song it is. If you don't, yeah, no, if no, you no. don't know what Matt just <laughs> said, um, enjoy it when you Google it and find it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we've gone and done it. We did the dang thing. We're gonna come in under three hours this did week. Landry... One of the shows was a clip show. That does help. Yeah, my description of it was like a minute long. Um, does, did Landrew do a math? Landrew did a math. So here's where we stand at the end of week forty-seven. Okay. Uh, in fifth place this week with uh, 22 points, uh, Shades of Grey. Mm. Hey, that's a clip show. Last week's Voyager only got 23. <laughs> well, we've no Voyager has scored less than that. Uh, that did have Ferengi, more Ferengis in it. There were some Ferengis in this one, but very few. Oh, that's right. They did have some last outpost flashbacks. There's a couple of last outpost flashbacks. Anybody! <laughs> that's the first one. Mm. We go to credits on anybody. Um in uh, fourth place with 27 points, surprise, surprise, Voyager with Remember. They can't get their act together, bro. I don't know. We both felt is. like this was a pretty mediocre episode. It's like they only got points because it was about something. Yeah. I got a very rare dark green for premise. Yeah. Uh, in third place this week with 31 points, Enterprise with Cogenitor. Seems to be where it hangs out these days is around third. 31's just on the good side of average, so... Um, welcome to third place. In uh, second place this week with 37 points, TOS with the immunity syndrome. Kind of hard to believe it scored as many as 37. TOS has had a couple of stinkers. I mean, a piece of the action was garbage. That was a hard one. Gamesters of of (laughs) Triskelion was pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, So... I guess doing big sci-fi work generally works in TOS's favor because they're the ones that are supposed to be doing it. Yeah, and you know it comes along with drama and stuff, so it's there's something going on. The winner this week, forty-three points. The Search Part Two. Now, uh, this is interesting. That's Deep Space Nine's eleventh win. It's a lot. Uh, TOS still leads with sixteen, but it's been a while. Yeah. Next Generation, right behind him at 15. But DS9 at 11, it's starting to look more and more like DS9 is not in a, th- a class of its own in in between the two good ones and the two bad ones. Yeah, it might be an expanded tier there. It's starting to really close the gap, especially if you look at average points. Uh, TNG leads with uh, 34 and three quarters. And then TOS is uh, 33.6 and Deep Space Nine is 32.6. Two. And then the other two are so, fucking it up in the back, quite a, quite a ways further down. Yeah. So it, it's starting to look more like two classes instead of three, and that's interesting. Yeah, especially because we know that <clears throat> TOS only has what forty two more. For how many did they make overall? Eighty nine. Uh, no, eighty one. They have thirty two more. They have just about eighty episodes. Oh, right. Okay, I couldn't remember. Well, anyway, they're they're going to be done before too long. Yeah, they have one season to go, but it's kind of a long season. Yeah. And DS9 Speaking... is uh, just getting started. So we'll see where yeah. it is when TOS bows out. Yeah, if DS9 gets, uh, you know, if five DS9 episodes win their weeks, which is possible, I think five won, at least five won in season two. Oh, yeah. Uh, it could end up ahead of of TOS by the time TOS bows out. Speaking of seasons, we have reached the end of TNG season two. Yeah. So now only 
Enterprise and uh, TOS are still in their second seasons, and both of those are are winding down. Dude, what is up with Enterprise? Why they got so many episodes? Uh, they all of the other shows have had a short season uh, at this true. point. Yeah, Voyager had a really short first season. Voyager had a very short first season. Uh, TNG had a foreshortened second season. Uh, DS Nine had a slightly short first season. I think. I All right, well, so we know who the winner was this week. Uh, by the way, we both picked it as first place, though I had it five points ahead of you. Um, yeah. What uh, What are we doing next week? Or next uh, episode of this? Next time we get together to do this, I guess we'll probably get one more Star Trek one out this year. Yeah, I, I don't have anything uh, pressing on my calendar for a while. Yeah. Uh, we will be watching A Private Little War. Okay. Evolution. Season three, baby. The House of Quark. That's okay. Mix mixing the Klingons and the Ferengi. Okay. Sacred Ground from Voyager. No clue, but that sounds. What like if that's a Chakotay? That sounds like Chakotay. <laughs> that's not good. And regeneration that's from Enterprise. Something will regenerate. Yes. <laughs> or we'll meet an entity called the I, Regeneration, I, just I like with Cogenitor. Headphones out. I'm glad we got to the end of the episode. <laughs> while matt picks up his headset i'm gonna uh wish you farewell you feel free to uh tweet at us at brother date email us at anything you want at brotherdate.com and next week we're like doing subscribe the, review whatever a good old-fashioned mailbag whatever episode that's right bye 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 hey where'd that guy go after he left here <laughs> and also where's my coach janitor <laughs> And did you, any of you guys see the alien or my co-janitor? <laughs> We're, uh, we are leasing that thing if we lose it. We are a deep shit. I'm paying $289 it is... a month. Please subscribe.